get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, he'll be he's being reevaluated right now. So we'll know more later today. Kind of, you know, it's just kind of a it seemed like a nothing play, but you know, well, we won't we won't know more till later today. To be honest with you guys, I can't really comment on it too much. But you know, it, if he's you know, we'll see where he's at. But Nick Letty could you know that could be real important that we got him for sure. When I heard that from Craig Berube yesterday on the fast lane and alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I had a pretty good idea of what was coming next. And now we have the answer. According to Jeremy Rutherford and everybody else, the Blues insiders that are out there at Blues Morning Skate today, it is not a day in which Tory Krug is on the ice. According to Jeremy Rutherford, Tory Krug is week to week. With an upper body injury, I hate how the NHL does this. There's no more information. We don't know. I, If we had to speculate, it's got to be something on his arm. He was holding his arm as he walks or as he skated off and went immediately straight down into the locker room for the Blues. So it's going to be probably a, a good minute before we see Tory Krug back on the ice for the Blues. Today, Alex, they had Nick Letty skating with Colton Pareko. It was Marco Scandella with Justin Falk. And it was Nico Mikola with Robert Bortuzzo as that third defensive pairing. What do you think of these pairings? What do you make of what the Blues are going to have to do without Tory Crew? Because if it's week to week, man, this could be a minute that they're without him. Yeah, and I would imagine they're going to be cautious with Tory Krug as well. This isn't one of those things where you want him back as quick as possible because you need him for a playoff push. And frankly, you're going to need him for the playoffs. And it's tough because you're losing a, a big time player with chemistry with Justin Falk. I'm glad they're doing it this way. I'm sure some people have looked at it and say, oh, well, I'd rather have Nick Letty with Justin Falk because he mimics a little of how Tory Krug plays. Look, the one thing I want on my defense moving forward in these last 19 games is I want Colton Pareko to be at his best. And I don't know if I have seen him play better this season than what he was in the last game with Nick Letty next to him against Washington. So I think this is the way to go. And honestly, it might benefit Justin Falk. Not saying because Falk and Krug have been really good together. But Krug is more offensively inclined defensively than he is defensively. It might benefit Justin Falk to have a Marco Scandella play there with him to keep it simple, but to have two pairings that can play a little shutdown role. So I like the idea and 
also, you keep Nico Mikkel on the third pair and you let him kind of um, tear things up when he wants to uh, post whistle. By the way, for what it's worth, and I know people don't like him, Marco Scandella has been better since he's been back in the lineup. Over his last six games, he's a plus eight, and I know that can be a flawed stat at times, but it's not just the plus eight that's been impressive to me. He's got seven shots on net in that stretch. He's got six hits. He's got four blocked shots. He's averaging more than 18 minutes per game on the ice. Now he's going to be relied upon in a big way over the next, let's say, few weeks. Tonight, this might not be a huge deal. You've got Philadelphia coming in. They do not have Claude Giroux, who was just a terror the last time these two teams met. Philly's not a very good hockey team. No, you should be able that, that's a good point. You should be able to get by though, even with a depleted blue line in this one. Where it gets a little tougher is when you go up against Carolina and Edmonton and Calgary, which is coming up. And then if he's still out against Minnesota, by the time we get there, that's about two weeks away from now. And then Boston and Minnesota, Nashville, like it, it gets tougher over the next couple of weeks. But in this stretch that they're in right now, he, he he is out at a good time, opportunistic time for the Blues. Obviously, you never want to be without um, a guy like Tory Krug, and you wish he didn't get hurt. But if he was going to, this might be the best case scenario in terms of the timing. The other thing that I like about this, Alex, is you're about to find out. This is an open audition for Marco Scandella and Nico Mikola to find out who is that third pairing defenseman for you down the stretch. Who's going to be that guy that gets the ice time once you do get into the playoffs? Those two guys have to know right now after the Blues just told you with their actions by trading for Nick Letty. Hey, we're on borrowed time right now. One of us is not going to be playing whenever the Blues do get into the playoffs. So both of you right now fight your asses off because this is when you could actually earn your spot into the lineup once you do get into the biggest games down the stretch. Yeah, and I think the advantage right now is in the hands of Marco Scandella because the fact that they didn't trade him means that they want him to be a part of this team at least for the rest of this season. And I I believe that if Krug was healthy and the playoffs started today, Scandella would be playing on that third pairing with Robert Bortuzzo. So Mikola's kind of behind the eight ball here. I might be in the minority, and as much as it stinks to lose Tory Krug, and it does stink to lose Tory Krug, I think the Blues are going to be fine, even when they play the Carolina Hurricanes and the Oilers and the Minnesotas if Krug's not there because they acquired Nick Letty. Now, again, you're losing a big-time player in Tory Krug who's very good at transitioning, and he's really good at the power play. But Nick Letty is also good at those things. I wouldn't be surprised if Nick Letty's playing 23, 24 minutes a night. He's already working out with the number one power to. play unit. Yeah, so... I think this could benefit the Blues because they're going to have a scary good transition pairing with Pareko and Letty and the ability to skate and exit the zone. And then you kind of have a shutdown pair with Marco Scandella and Justin Falk along with Mikola and Bortuzzo. Now, long term, you need Tory Krug back. If you want to go anywhere in the playoffs, you got to have Tory Krug on the ice. But for right now, I think the Blues will be okay as long as the forwards can chip in defensively just as much as they did against the Capitals. One thing I'm curious too is with Krug and Falk, they're the, they're the defensive pairing that gets a lot of those offensive zone uh, starts. I wonder if it'll be Falk and Scandella that do that, or oh, if maybe be... Preko and Letty get more yeah. of it, because Letty's going to be leading that number one power play, as you just mentioned. Preko, I still view as a guy that can be an offensive-minded defenseman. I wonder if you start to see the, that pairing get more offensive zone uh I think they start. might just... They could platoon it too. I think they might just start kind of the, reeling yeah. it in when it comes to that. Like I, 
I don't know you're going to see as much of the one group is getting 60% offensive zone start times. The other one is getting 60% defensive. I, I think they might just, hey, we're not going to worry about that right now. Like Nick Letty, Colton Pareku, you're our best guys. When we need you, we're going to throw you out there, you know? And I, I think it might be less about the matchups and situations right now and more about just, you guys are going to get a bunch of ice time. And if that means we're putting you in there in offensive zone starts, so be it. If that means we're putting you out there in defensive zone start, fine. We're going to need a lot out of Letty and Pareko. And yesterday, Craig Berube also spoke to the fast lane about how well Colton Pareko has played of late. Alex, you've noted this a few times, not only here on our show, but also on the post game show. Anybody that's talking about Colton Pareko needing to raise his game, they haven't been watching the Blues of late because he's been playing very well. Yeah, ski. He's really skating right now. I think that's the, that's the key for him is his feet. Um, he calls and plays out, skating pucks out of zones. He's just on it. You know, when he's playing aggressive like that and he's skating, he's tough to handle. Obviously, he's a big guy. You know, he's a lot like Torpachenko. The big guys that could skate like that, they're tough to handle. And, um, you know, he, he goes up there against those these top players and just shuts them right down. What I heard is Torpchenko is another Colton Pareko, so watch Colton out Pareko now. Pareko being compared to uh, Torpchenko, <laughs> not something I was anticipating nope. before the season. Nope. But I'm going to spin that as BT likes to do that spin rate. Torpchenko is the next Colton Pareko on the forward position. Can I give you a Let's number go. that blew me away when I saw it last night? In so, Colton Pareko's last 18 games, guys, this is since uh, February 10th, so this is since his return. 18 games, he has 7 points, he is a plus 20. Whoa. Plus 20 what since was that February 10th. Let's go back and take a look. Uh, Alex, listen to this. Because I know t Average time like on me. ice in these 18 games. You would expect that his play would deteriorate when he's playing more, right? Uh-uh. Last 18 games, he's averaging more than 24 minutes per game on the ice. Colton Pareko has been a legitimate number one defenseman in the NHL for... About six weeks now. Nobody seems to be noticing this, but Pareko has upped his game in a huge way. It hasn't mattered who's playing with him. They've gone with Mikola at times. Scandella's been up there. We just saw him win what I think might have been his best game of the season, maybe, with uh, Nick Letty being his partner. Pareko raising his game like this is what we've been waiting for all year long. It's finally happening, boys. 18 games, a plus 20. That's about as good as you can get in this league. You want to? You want me to blow you away even more? I have Do to it. imagine that's the best plus minus in the NHL that since February 20th. Best plus minus in the NHL since February 10th. Sorry. 10th. You want to blow it even more? What? The start Do of I the ever, season. Buddy? The start of the season to February 9th. You know what Colton Pareko was sitting at? He, he was a minus on the year. He was a minus 16, which was 10th worst among defensemen wow. in the National Hockey League. So you win. In a matter of how many games is that? That would be a total of... Got to be 50. Yeah. Well, oh, I was looking at the, the stretch. At the, yeah. In a matter of 18 games, oh, sorry. you've gone from a minus 16, one of the worst defensemen in the National Hockey League, to currently sitting at a plus four. And in that time frame, that 18 games, you have been the best defenseman in the National Hockey League. So I, I'm with you, BK. I'm done with the argument of when Col Colton Pareko is getting the Jay Bowmeister treatment right now, yep. where every time he's on the ice, and I saw it against the Capitals when that first goal went in, when he was parked against the when he was parked against the front of the net, and that puck bounced off of Vili Huso and then off of Pareko and into the net. I saw social media going, "Oh my God, Colton Pareko again! You can't fix this. Get him off the ice." 
I'm done with it because Colton Pareko has been. If we've talked about Justin Falk being one of the best defensemen for the Blues all season long, Colton Pareko has been your best defenseman from February 10th on, not just for the Blues, but for the National Hockey League. And you're getting that number one defenseman right now. And if they're going to reach their ceiling, this is going to be the level of play that you're going to have to get from Colton Pareko. And like you said, he's been that way in the last however many games it was since February. And I mean, he's the only defenseman on this team that can make that play he made against Washington, where he's at the blue line in his yep. own zone, pokes it around, the, pokes a puck free around the defender, gets a breakaway, then takes a penalty and gets a power play for the Blues. He's the only guy that can make that play on this team because he's so lengthy and he can help Nick Letty get out of the, his own zone as well with his skating ability. And that's the transition game for the Blues. And also remember those numbers that we just gave you, he still has been playing with Marco Scandella and Nico Mikla. He's yep. been playing with the same people he was playing in the first portion of the season. He's just upped his game right now. Yeah, and somebody on the text line, 65780, is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show, and you can do so at any point throughout the day today. Somebody mentions, hey, guys, look at the underlying numbers, though. He still hasn't been playing all that well. Yeah, look at the underlying numbers. Look at the offensive zone start percentage. I know people don't want to talk about it because it's a boring number, but Man, if I tell you, Alex, you never get to hit in a major league lineup. You going to get a whole lot of home runs? No, nah, probably, probably not, right? Be, I'm, I'm really good if you're at exclusively it. a late inning defensive replacement, I'm not going to expect you to have great offensive numbers. That's basically the way they're playing Colton Pareko right now. He's getting 35% of his starts are in the offensive zone. It's bottom 30 in the NHL among all defensemen. And this is in this stretch that we're talking about, where he's been a plus 18 in the last 20 games. There's 215 defensemen that have played at least 100 minutes in this stretch. Colton Pareko's bottom 30 in offensive zone start percentage. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. They're using him as a defensive-minded defenseman. They are using him in that Jay Bomeister role that you mentioned. And they need him to continue performing this way. Do I expect him to continue this pace of being a, a plus one on average in every game? Of yes. course not. Oh. Of course not. That's not sustainable. But he's been a legitimate number one defenseman in this stretch. And if he can continue doing that and this team gets Tory Krug back into the lineup and Nick Letty looks as good regularly as he did in his first game for the Blues, this team's going to be pretty darn good down the stretch, and they're going to have every opportunity to go on a run in the playoffs. One more text I want to address on our Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Yeah, Alex, those numbers look great, but what or what amount of teams did he play against that were playoff opponents? First of all, I don't think that matters because you play against the teams that you're going up against. And remember, the Blues have struggled against bad teams. But to hone in on it, since February 10th, they've taken on the Toronto Maple Leafs. They've taken on the New York Rangers twice. They've taken on the Nashville Predators. They've taken on Winnipeg. And don't discount Winnipeg because they're out of the playoffs because they're only a couple of points away. You've taken on Pittsburgh, and you just beat the Washington Capitals. Those are some significant teams that you've played against, and some teams that a lot of people view could be Stanley Cup winners that he's gone up against. In a lot of those games, they've won. He was a plus three against Toronto. Pretty darn good game. Uh, they're not good team, though. Even against the Rangers in the first one, a plus four against the Rangers in the second uh, one. They're Even not against either. Nashville in the in that game, plus two against Pittsburgh, plus two against Washington. Oh, so you're Pretty saying he's good. good against good teams? Pretty darn good against okay. the quality opponents that have been on their schedule. Take Long that! Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are going to have plenty of Blues talk throughout the day today. We've got Joey Vitale, the Blues analyst for the Blues Radio Network, on 101 ESPN coming up at about 1245. Questions and answers coming up at 1145 as always. But coming up next, 
We're not playing more likely to happen today, but which of these players is more likely to sign a long-term extension? We talked a bit about this yesterday. We did, we did it, though, through the lens of which one would we like to see sign a, more, uh, sign a long-term extension? Which one's actually more likely? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And Harrison Bader is a is a momentum generator, and that stuff matters. So I, I, I'm with you. I, I would love to see them look at him and say, let's see if we can get a deal done and lock him up for a while, because that is a kid, while he does play with reckless abandon, he's ripped, he's shredded out of his mind, he's in amazing shape, super athlete, he's going to age well. He's the kind of guy like Kevin Kiermaier will give you top-notch defense for a while. So I love him, and I hope he's around for uh, maybe five to ten years in a call uniform. Who did Greg Amsinger hear the Kevin Kiermaier comparison from? Hang on. We're re-signing Harrison Bader because he's ripped and he's got great hair? That's why we're re-signing him? I can think of worse reasons. Can he hit? Yes, he's been an above-average league hitter for two years now. Let's lock up an above-average hitter. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll get to your questions. We'll have some answers coming up for you in about 15 minutes or so. That was Greg Amsinger of MLB Network earlier today on with Carriker and Smallman. We said yesterday, Alex, who would you rather re-sign to a long-term extension this offseason before the end of spring training? Would you rather go with Tyler O'Neill on a five-year deal worth, we, we projected about $85 million. That's what the Will Myers deal was a few years ago. So he, probably somewhere around that range. Or would you rather go the five-year, 45 to $50 million range for a guy like Harrison Bader? The projection that we used for that one was actually Kevin Kiermeyer. His contract extension was right around that range. We, I think the two of us went with Tyler O'Neill, yeah, right? And Tino went with Harrison Bader. Bader. What if I flipped this around? Instead of asking you who would you rather re-sign to an extension, who do you think is more likely to do so? Because I saw these quotes from Tyler O'Neill yesterday, and it kind of made me raise an eyebrow. And I think you could read them multiple different ways, but I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. So apparently Tyler O'Neill hired Scott Boris in the offseason. Oh. I was unaware of this until I Ooh. saw yesterday the St. Louis Post-Dispatch reported that. Ooh. Then yesterday, here's what he said about his arbitration situation. Quote, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little surprised. I really felt there was a lack of urgency from the other side, a.k.a. the Cardinals, which is unfortunate. When asked about a possible contract extension, though, here's what he had to say about that. Quote, absolutely. I would definitely be open to contract extension talks with St. Louis. I love playing here. I love the fans. I love the city. I love the energy out there. I would love to sign a contract extension if everything worked out the right way. End quote. That again, coming from Tyler O'Neill, according to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. How do you read those quotes from O'Neill and also factor in the Scott Boris portion of this? I read them that he wanted to be locked up and he was surprised that the Cardinals didn't approach him with it after his really good season that he just had with a Scott Boris approach. I I get it. And T-Bone, you were pushing on this earlier in the office that Scott Boris's clients don't sign extensions when they go through arbitration, they're going to get the most money that they can. And Scott Boris is going to push for that. But if Tyler O'Neill is saying, I want to be in St. Louis, I want to stay a Cardinal. I want to extend here. I mean, your agent's got to get it done for you. Is he going to try and get the best amount of money that he can from the Cardinals? Absolutely. 
but you got to sign there. So I don't know if the Scott Boris thing has as much pull on it, other than the fact I don't know if John Mozeliak views it as, well, we're going to negotiate with Scott Boris right now. Maybe they approach it, but I get where the Cardinals are coming from. Would I like them to lock up Tyler O'Neill? Absolutely. But the Cardinals' approach is probably, let's see this, because his career has been more so injured and not being able to stay on the field than what we just saw this past season. So it doesn't really change much for me from his quotes, other than the fact that Tyler O'Neill wants to be here, and hopefully after another successful season, the Cardinals will lock him up. Look, I don't I don't doubt that maybe Tyler O'Neill wants to be here, but I think that's just the PR game, too, involved in this, because Scott Boer's clients don't sign extensions, and I, I would be stunned if Tyler O'Neill signs an extension, especially the caliber player that he is. I mean, you look at him, we've talked about I mean, he has the potential to be a gold-glove left fielder, he has the potential to have 20 steals because he's so fast, and the potential to hit 40 home runs, and hit 280 in a season as well. So, so with that, those four things right there, he's the all-around package. And a guy like that, Scott Boris is going to be pushing him, even if he's like, hey, I want to stay in St. Louis. Scott Boris is going to be pushing him, hey, look at my history of getting contracts signed. I think Scott Boris' clients brought in like a billion dollars or something crazy this offseason. Yep. He's going to be pushing Tyler O'Neill to just play this out and hit, play his cards and say, hey, I know it's a risky bet. Maybe something goes wrong. You don't end up getting the contract. But if you're able to stay healthy and put together – three good seasons, this is his first year in arbitration, you're going to get paid. And that's why I find it that it would be a shock if Tyler O'Neill signed a contract extension. Look, I, I don't doubt that he wants to be here. It's just the Scott Boris <laughs> approach. And Scott Boris is going to want his client to hit free agency. That's always been his M.O. I think it would be more likely you'd see a Harrison Bader get a contract extension. I know people, uh, there were probably some that when they heard five years, $85 million yesterday, they were like, why would the Cardinals sign that early? Here's why. The guys that they're going to comp him to, and these aren't the same position, but this is kind of the range of contracts that he's probably going to be looking at. You're looking at Christian Yelich, Jason Hayward, Chris Bryant, Marcus Simeon. That range of contract, which is 25 to $27 million per year on a seven to eight year contract, that's what you're looking at if Tyler O'Neill hits the open market. And honestly, because those guys were signed couple of years ago for most of them and Chris Bryan has had a couple of down years since he had that MVP season you could be looking at even more than that it could be closer to 28 29 30 million dollars on a per year basis is what Tyler O'Neill is looking at I know people hear that and they're like no way that's not really going to be the right yes yes it is I mean look at what Christian Yelich ended up getting from the Milwaukee Brewers seven years 189 million dollars that's a 27 million dollar per year basis you look at his numbers you look at what he produced for the Brewers that's the kind of player that Tyler O'Neill could be right around a 1000 OPS he ended up being a guy that was a base stealer he was playing pretty good defense out in the outfield and is that de- is that contract looking bad for them right now because of the back issues yep absolutely and, and they're having a tough time building around it as a result but that's the kind of thing that you're trying to bet on. Do you want to get in early on Tyler O'Neill? If the answer is yes, you probably got to do it now. You probably got to sign him long-term right now. And it's going to cost more than what you want to pay in an ideal scenario if you're the Cardinals. I think the more likely guy to accept one, though, right now is Harrison Bader. I think that you could probably, if you wanted to re-sign him, I think the Cardinals would like to get it at like five years and $40 million. I think Bader's side would probably like to get five years and 55-ish million dollars. I think they probably would settle somewhere in that 45 to $50 million range over a five-year stretch. So you're looking at 9 to $10 million on an average annual basis. 
Guys, I think I would do that if I was the Cardinals. You said yesterday, Tanner, there's no such thing as a bad contract so long as you could trade that. You're always going to be able to trade that deal. Jackie Bradley Jr. gets an average of about $10 million per he year. He got traded. And he got traded. Twice, didn't he? And Harrison Bader is a better yeah. overall player than Jackie Bradley Jr. is. He's excellent defensively. You're always going to find somebody. like if, if Harrison Bader didn't work out and you needed to send him somewhere, I can promise you this. The Kansas City Royals would absolutely take Harrison Bader. Like you can always just send them across I-70. Why? Because they've got a massive outfield and they always want somebody that's great defensively in center field. That's nice at the Royals. The the San Francisco Giants, I guarantee you that team would be interested in him. A team like the Mets would probably be interested in Harrison Bader. If you sign him and it doesn't work out and the offense just ends up starting to lag the way that it has with Kevin Kiermeyer over the last few years, you could trade him elsewhere. I would sign that deal by the end of spring training. I think he would be likely to do it. He's the kind of guy that wants to know where his long-term future is. I think he's really bought in on St. Louis over the last couple of years. I think he wants to be here. I loved the fact that it's a a little thing, but it matters to me. After the game in the wild card round, who was the guy that talked to Jim Hayes down by the dugout? It was Harrison Bader. He answered all the questions about the Cardinals losing that game in gut-wrenching fashion. He's become, at least publicly, a leader on this team. So that's the guy that I think, A, could get done, and B, I would get done if I was on the Cardinals side. Yeah, and and I like it too because, look, I know people say he's inconsistent, but you look at his numbers last year. He improved against breaking ball, which were his kryptonite, and he improved against right-handed. I don't expect that to really take a massive drop-off coming into this season and moving into the future. And if it does, he's a really good elite defensive player, and he's going to be that for the next five years. About age 32, 33 is when your elite center fielders kind of start to take a step back. That was about the time Lorenzo Cain hit free agency, and he hasn't been the same defender since he was in Kansas City. So if you can get him locked up for five years, you buy out, what's he got, two more years of arbitration? Mm -hmm. You get three years of free agency along in that too. And by the time that contract comes up, He's probably could still be an effective hitter at the plate. He's just not going to be as elite defensively. It's the perfect contract for the Cardinals. A five-year deal, lock up your center fielder, you know what you've got, and you've got your outfield. It also built. locks in cost certainty. That's the, exactly. And the Cardinals freaking love cost certainty because they know how to project their future payrolls and they can build around that. And arbitration, it's really hard because if Harrison Bader has a, a fantastic year, I don't know that he is going to, but if he had an awesome year this year, ends up with like a... 850 OPS. He's just hitting 25 bombs. He's healthy. He's playing gold glove center field. He could end up next year getting like $10 million in arbitration. And then now you're getting ready to hit the open market. He could break the bank for somebody. Somebody might give him 17, $18 million on a per year basis. Yeah. I I might be in the minority here, but I think Tyler O'Neill would sign it if you went to him because I think Tyler O'Neill, I I don't know if Tyler O'Neill would be as concerned, but I wonder if their side would view it as we've had a lot of injuries in the past. And if one more slip up happens, I don't know if you're going to get that type of money, sell high and get the money that you can right now after a really good season. And honestly, I would take a chance on that because even if he's not himself, I said this yesterday, if he's not what he was last year, I still think you're getting a gold glove defense, much like you're getting with Harrison Bader, but you're also getting the potential to hit 30 home runs. So I think Tyler O'Neill would accept it, but you're right. Harrison Bader is the more likely one in this situation that would accept it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This is a fair critique from the 636. Can we pull the tape? Who's the guy that the Cardinals have right now that BK has said not to try to re-sign early? So I like re-signing guys early because I think it's a really smart thing to do from a business perspective. You get them locked in on a long-term deal 
And these deals you can trade, we've seen this before. Stephen Piscotty, Alan Craig, even the guys that did not work out for the Cardinals, they were able to send them elsewhere, and it didn't end up becoming some sort of an albatross on their books. Meanwhile, it's the long-term extensions on guys that are over the age of 30. Those are the ones that end up really hurting you because they are 15 plus million dollars and they're over the age of 30 and teams don't want to take those on. That's where you get into the Matt Carpenters, the Miles Michaelis, those types of contracts, and they can really hamper what the Cardinals are able to do in free agency. And you got to play those guys. So the Cardinals don't want to end up going out there and signing somebody else to take their spot on the roster. So a guy like Tommy Edmond, I, I don't know that the Cardinals should re-sign him. Maybe I got out over on my skis on that one. That that was one that I would like to take back in terms of my opinion on it. I think they're right to play that one out because I don't know what Tommy Edmond's future is here with Nolan Gorman on the cusp of being up in the big leagues. But Dylan Carlson, if they wanted to re-sign him, honestly, all of their outfielders, if they wanted to sign them through their arbitration years and buy out a couple of free agency years, I'd be fine with any of them. I would have no issue if they signed any of those guys. The guys that I'm not interested in doing that with are pitchers. I never want to re-sign pitchers on their early years because they're too cheap, they're too breakable, and I don't want to bet long-term on those guys. The position players, though, I'm always interested in doing that. And you mentioned the injury uh, history with O'Neill, Alex, someone that I just looked, and he is a pitcher, so it's a little bit of a different cop, Steven Strasburg. Injury history, Scott Boer's client. Scott Boer still told him to play it out. He got to free agency, coming off a World Series win as well, then got a massive seven-year contract from the Nationals. I think that's the exact same approach he's going to have with Tyler O'Neill. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We just talked a lot about contracts extensions. What about guys going elsewhere? The NFL has a player movement issue conundrum maybe something that's going well for the league we'll talk about that and how they deal with this and is it becoming more like the nba we'll talk about that next year on 101 espn we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Has the NFL become more like the NBA when it comes to player movement? Alex, this offseason, we've seen nine players that have a combined 39 Pro Bowl selections have been traded. Nine players, 39 Pro Bowl selections. This includes Russell Wilson, Khalil Mack, Amari Cooper, Devontae Adams, Deshaun Watson, Matt Ryan, Tyreek Hill. The player movement in the NFL has been different in recent years. And I think some of this is a reaction to what we saw with the Rams. I think some of it is you've got a lot more young general managers that don't view draft picks the way that general managers previously did. Even the best GM in the league. Hits on his first round pick about 50% of the time. Is that a better bet than going out there? And for example, if you're the Dolphins, using a first round pick to acquire a guy like Tyreek Hill, who you know exactly what you're getting, he's immediately going to be one of the five best receivers in the NFL. I don't know. There's a there's a risk there, but there's also a big time risk when it comes to the NFL draft. The big thing here, though, is the player movement. And guys are now getting to be able to kind of control their destiny. Deshaun Watson picked where he wanted to go. I can have my issues with it, and I do, but he got to pick where he wanted to go. Russell Wilson, same thing. He picked, handpicked the uh, Denver Broncos. If Aaron Rodgers wanted to leave Green Bay, he was going to have the same opportunity. Tyreek Hill was told, go seek a trade. Go find out who's going to give you that big contract that you're looking for. He found two teams. He decided he wanted to go with the Dolphins. 
Is this a good thing for the NFL in your mind, Alex? I don't think so. I think when you get these stars moving around so much, like it creates excitement for sure. But I don't know. For me, I feel like... uh, I feel like the, the, the common fan prefers to watch the star players stick with one team. And maybe that's just the hockey biased in me because you've seen it so much, or even the baseball side with what we have here in St. Louis with Yachty and Wayno. But to look around the NFL and, and to see all of these names, like thinking of not having Devontae Adams with Green Bay or Deshaun Watson, whatever that may be, or now with Russell Wilson and no Seattle or Tyree Kill with Kansas City. Like, yeah, it's exciting because you're going to watch that first game with him. But then after that, I think it just takes away a little bit from the game. Same with the NBA. Like, the NBA is fun when you see those guys move around so much. But then you get the, well, I want to go play with this guy because we're buddies. And you get the power teams. You create the villains, which is always interesting with the storylines. But I think it, it takes away a little bit from the common fan, I feel like, to not have that guy play with the same team. See, I think it's I think it's great for the sport because then other fan base can get to see some superstars on their team and they bounce around. They don't. I don't think they bounce around as much in the NFL as they do in the NBA. I, I think this was kind of just a odd off season to see nine Pro Bowlers uh, being traded. But I, I think it is a good thing because even though that we see all this movement, there are still guys, some superstars that stay with teams for quite a while. I mean, you look at Von Miller. Von Miller was in Denver for a very long time, and I don't even think he handpicked the Rams. I think the Broncos dealt him, and it kind of was a shock to him. I think he had some say, but not as much as we think. I think the Broncos just said, you know, we got to move on. It's better. It's a business decision. It's better for us. So I, I, I think it's a good thing for the sport because you got guys moving around like that. All the excitement now is in Miami based on everything that they've done this off season they go and acquire one of the maybe the best wide receiver in the NFL I think it's good and it it puts a lot of hype around all these different teams I mean you look at some franchises when you don't have this kind of movement you get a lot of franchises that kind of get forgotten about look at the MLB like Baltimore nobody's talked about Baltimore since Manny Machado was there and that's been almost what eight years now something Mm -hmm. like that so I, I think it's good for these leagues that have this movement because otherwise some of these franchises may never be able to get a superstar as well I mean you look at uh, the NBA, the Detroit Pistons have always thought that they can never get a superstar. So what they do? They went and traded for a Blake Griffin. Granted, it didn't work, but that was their whole thought process is we can go get a guy on a big contract and it's okay and it's fine. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. It's funny how BK went from thinking all of these trades in the NFL was fun and exciting uh, until yesterday when his team traded away a player that he liked. And now it's a bad thing for the NFL. I don't necessarily think it's inherently a bad thing for the league. I do think that Like, if what my hypothesis is on Tyreek Hill is true, if he decided, I don't want to play for the Chiefs anymore, that's what I think happened. I think that a lot of what you're seeing in terms of the reporting is trying to match what actually ended up being the case, which was the Devontae Adams deal. I think they're trying to retrofit an explanation as opposed to what really happened. Tyreek Hill had a contract extension in place with the Chiefs. I know that to be true. It It was there, and he was dragging his feet. Why? I think he wanted an out. I think he wanted to be able to play something and say, that's why I don't want to play here anymore. Get me somewhere else. If that's true, and you go back to the Le'Veon Bell thing where he forced his way out of uh, Pittsburgh, you look at what happened with um, Deshaun Watson down in Houston. Like That I don't think is good for football. I don't think it's good for guys to be able to at any point in their contract, and I understand like the player empowerment, all these different things, for guys to be able to at any point in their contract force their way out of a situation – I don't know that that's good for football. I I agree with that. The player movement in general, I have no issue with. But these guys that have, and Tyreek's different because he only had one year left on his deal. But 
like Sean Watson, for example, handpicking his team. And this was starting last year where he said, you know what? I went out of the situation. I signed a contract extension here. I knew what a disaster it was. I've got four years left on my deal. I don't care. I went out. I don't think that's good for football. I don't think that's good for the sport at all. Well, yeah, well, let me... And it's the same thing in the NBA with like a Ben Simmons, for example. I don't think that's good for basketball no. for him to just be sitting out in the middle of his prime when he's got multiple years left on his contract. Or James Anthony Harden. Davis, who had another year left on his deal and just decided, eh, I'm not going to play for the Pelicans anymore because I want to play for the Lakers now. I mean, you got another year on your deal. If you want to play for them, fine. They can just trade us a bunch of assets, but go play. Like, I, I know that's... Uh, I'm in favor of the players having their power, but there is something here that I think is kind of... I don't know. It, th- there's... There's a pivot point here that I think it becomes an yeah. issue for the league. Well, and that's where I was going to say, let me explain thing, uh, myself a little bit more because somebody texted in and said, so Alex, what you're saying is uh, Mike Trout should stay in Anaheim. You guys talk all the time about how the best player is stuck in Anaheim. Look, I, if the player becomes a free agent and decides he wants to go go elsewhere, then I'm all for that. But I, I don't like I, I don't think it's like Anaheim's an interesting situation because they spend money. It's just they're an awful general manager who signs the wrong players and puts the team in a bad spot. I don't think teams like the Tampa Bay Rays who have Blake Snell should be trading those guys away because they don't want to pay them, because they feel like they'll get better assets in return. If you're a team that's competing like the Kansas City Chiefs, you shouldn't trade away a Tyree Kill. If you're a bad team, then the guy, when he becomes a free agent, should be allowed to walk. That's the player's right with that. I think trading away those star players, when you have the capability of building something, I think that takes away from it a little bit. See, I think the movement's good. The Snell one, I don't have a problem with. I get that the Rays didn't want to pay him, but if you truly believe that you can get better assets and it's better for the organization in the long term and making a deal with Blake Snell, I mean, let's be honest, right now the Rays probably might be winning that trade because Blake Snell was not good for San Diego last year. Granted, we don't know what the guy's or in that return. I don't think any of them have been in the major leagues yet. I, I agree with BK and, and your guys' assessment, though. I don't, I don't think it's good for the players to be demanding out of contracts, like like the Tyree Kill one, for example. Again, he only had one year, but yeah. the, the Deshaun Watson's a good one. Look, if you... Watson, Simmons, and James Harden are now, the ones that immediately I, come to mind where it's like, that. that is I something that I don't know how you remove it from the game. I, I, I don't know that there's anything the Leafs can do, honestly. But those are the ones that they, they do bother me a little bit. And I, I don't like the allowing the player to handpick the team unless he has a no trade clause. That's the whole point of that part of the negotiation yeah. when you sign a contract. That's why players want no trade clauses, so they have some say in where they're going to go. I don't like it if you don't have a no trade clause, which I don't think uh, Tyree Kill can. He had one year, so it's a bit of a different story. I don't like how Tyree Kill was just like, oh, yeah, I can, I'm going to choose what team I go to. He didn't have a no trade clause based on what I understand. Yeah. So I, I find that uncomfortable because if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, you could go get better assets for Tyree Kill from somebody else potentially i just i hate when the player says well i'm not gonna play then okay it, it, like the it, anthony davis thing you brought up if i'm new orleans fine don't play you're wasting at least a year of your career by not playing like that's what i don't like when they are when james harden puts on weight or a fat suit so he doesn't have to play fine waste a, waste a year or two of your career because you don't want to play with a team that you signed a contract to play with that's what i hate about it 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314 bk i agree with you to a point but for the nfl they don't have fully guaranteed contracts so i so i tend to side with the players on that one i agree like if you're in a bad situation and you have a non-guaranteed contract and you're into entering the final year of your deal and you want to be paid what you're worth 
I understand why you would hold out going into training camp or something like that to be able to get the deal that you're worth. I'm totally with you on that. Um, if you're going into the offseason and, and your team is clearly not willing to give you what you are worth on the open market and you want to go out there and explore what the options are. I get that. I, I really do understand it. It's the guys that are getting like the veterans that are on a contract that have multiple years left on their deal. They're in pretty good situations that are like, you know what? I don't want to play here anymore. It, it rubs me the wrong way. Um, and, and that's a, maybe a me problem as much as it is a league problem. But I do wonder what this is going to look like five years from now. Like, what is the logical end points to all of this? I think at the beginning of the player empowerment era, if you want to call it that in the NBA, I think a lot of people looked around. They're like, hey, this is really fun. This is awesome. Now, I think there are a lot of people that look around and be like, are, are like, there's no real building that takes place. Like the teams are just every year, everything is scrambled up and it becomes fun by the time you get to the NBA playoffs. But the league has almost become what college basketball is now. And I don't know that there's a fix to this. I honestly, maybe there shouldn't be a fix to this. Maybe this is where we should ended up. We should have ended up and the players do have more power. And maybe that's a good thing, but it is different as a fan and selfishly. And I admit readily admit that this is a selfish thing for me to say. I I kind of miss some of that where you do get the four to five year builds where you see these guys grow together. The same thing was true in college and it was true in the NBA. It was true in the NFL. You got to see a, a build like That's what, what makes the Warriors so fun. Absolutely. They, they kind of built internally and it's just different. Same thing was true of the Spurs. Um, the same thing was true. And I know people don't necessarily view it this way, but of the Lakers back in the early 2000s with Shaq and Kobe, like they traded for Shaq. I understand that. But a lot of that team was built internally. And that's something that I do miss a little bit, and I don't think it happens as often now as it did previously. But I don't think there's anything you can do to fix that, and I think it's something that the NFL is now going to have to grapple with over the coming years. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, speaking of guys that grow internally, Jordan Cairo, one more step that he needs to take as a player. We heard from Doug Armstrong about this recently. There's another quote from Doug Armstrong over on ESPN earlier today that I want to discuss. We'll get to that coming up at the top of the hour. Questions and answers coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is your comfort service text line for questions and answers. There's some interesting baseball news that just came down. A former Cardinal has been traded. Randall Gritchick. Oh, I thought it was Randy Rosarina. Is going from Toronto to Colorado. Actually, oh this could be a really good spot for Randall Gritchick. Colorado's about to like, go on a run to win. He could hit like 50 bombs in Colorado. Uh, Randall Gritchick has basically become the player that we all thought he was going to be. He's very inconsistent. If you're looking at what his OPS plus has been over the years, he fluctuates from slightly below league average to slightly above league average, depending on the season. He hits for a lot of power, doesn't hit for a lot of average, and does not have an on-base percentage that is uh, up to snuff. But in Colorado... That could be a really good fit for Randall Gritchick. Show I think that's a, a good trade for them. Than Randall Gritchick and Chris Bryant. Show me a better team. I can show you a lot of better teams. But it is an interesting fit for him because his power, that's really going to play in Colorado. He's probably going to hit. I had to guess. He, I don't know who else in that lineup for Colorado, but he could probably hit behind Chris Bryant. He's going to be in the middle of that order. Yeah, for sure. They, they traded... 
Rymel to Tapia. Tapia. I thought that he was a pretty high up prospect for them, but he hasn't been very good the last couple of seasons. He's really done nothing for them in the big leagues. He's he, good defensively and he's a speedster. Yeah, he has zero power whatsoever in his bat, and that's really limited him. He hits for a decent average, but he doesn't take walks and he has no real power. So I don't love this trade for the Blue Jays, to be totally honest with you, but it's a really good deal. I actually, it's very rare that I say the Rockies did something smart. I think this is a good deal for the Rockies. I wonder if they're setting something up uh, for something else I'll tell you what they're setting up. I think they're making a move for uh, Jose Ramirez. Yeah. Because they just freed up about uh, 9.3 this year, another 9.3 next year. Because it's it's strange to trade away Randall Gritchick because Randall Gritchick's a good player for them. And they don't, I mean, they have outfielders, but that's a big time piece to lose. I wonder if they're setting something up. Man, if they get Jose Ramirez, Cardinals should have got that nasty, guy. man. Toronto's going to be are gonna be awesome. And listen, this is not a political statement in any way, shape, or form. I want to say that up front. The vaccine mandate that is in place in, in Toronto is, yep. is strangely going to be like the greatest home field advantage in the history of sports. Because there are some guys on other teams in the AL East. And by the way, there was a new piece that just came out a moment ago from Jeff Passan. Apparently, uh, Trevor Story was unvaccinated going into the offseason. And the Red Sox held off on signing him until he got vaccinated. Oh, wow. Because of the vaccine mandate that's in place in Toronto, because he wasn't going to be able to play in 20 of their games this year. And at the time, New York also, this has since been disbanded, but New York also had a vaccine mandate. So 25 games this year that the um, Red Sox were going to play, they wouldn't have been able to have... Trevor Story in the lineup. Aaron Judge, it's uh, he hasn't yeah. confirmed whether or not he's that way, but it seems, that, I don't want to speculate, but it seems based on some of his comments, he's not vaccinated. That's what Chris Russo was going off about on uh, SportsCenter the other day, talking about how, like, Aaron Judge, what, you're not going to play in a series against the Boston Red Sox in September? And so this is a situation where the Red Sox had to decide, okay, is it worth it for us to go out there and acquire this guy who we're not sure how often we're going to be able to play him? Ultimately, Story decided to get vaccinated. Now he's a Red Sox. No, nothing else has to be worried about, but uh, if you're the Blue Jays and you've got these other teams within your division that when they come to town, there are going to be one, two, maybe three guys that are just completely unavailable. Um, it's a strange thing to say, but it becomes a legitimate home field advantage for them that other guys on their opposing rosters just flat out are not going to be available against them. Uh, and then you add in all of the talent that they obviously have. It's going to be a year in the AL East, to say the least. All right, let's get into some of these questions. 65780 is the air cover service text line for questions and answers. Let's start out with this one tonight. Uh, we open things up in the Sweet 16. Guys, what's the game that you feel like you can't miss tonight in the Sweet 16? I'll start here. I'll miss all of them because the Blues. Texas Tech Duke <laughs> is the one that I'm, I'm not going to miss. I'm very interested to see how that one goes. Um, the other one that I'm interested in is Houston versus Arizona. But I think those are the two best games tonight. I would agree with that. I, I think Texas Tech's got a. I think they're a um, older group, if I'm not mistaken. I think they've got a couple of seniors. Uh, Duke, very young. All five guys are projected uh, first round picks, so that's an interesting one. Houston, I, I think Houston gives Arizona a run for their money. I still like Arizona in that one, uh, just because Houston doesn't have the size to really compete with them. But granted, I didn't think they have the size against Illinois, and they dominated them on the board. So there's potential there. Also, Michigan Villanova is very interesting because Michigan has that vibe of that low seed that makes a run for a final four appearance. Mine's Duke. I'm really interested to see if Duke can continue this run. I think with the Mike Krzyzewski storyline around it, they're going to be a fun team to watch. 
Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Guys, what would you rather watch tonight, the Blues game or basketball? Alex is professionally Blues obligated game. to uh, watch the Blues game. Blues I will be hockey. I'll have the, the two TV setup going on tonight, so I've got both on. Um, that's the way that I'm going to I will go. have college basketball. I'll have both phone, on. I'll have to determine what's going to be on the big screen, though. The Blues game or the splitting Which the screen with basketball with? What's a big screen for you, 32-inch? No, no, okay. I got a 55-inch TV. Oh, that's not nice, man. Weird flex. That's not nice. Yeah, you made up? him do that. Yeah. No, I didn't. Uh, I would. I think because I'm going to be split screening basketball because they're playing like at the same time. I'll probably put basketball on the big screen. I'll have the Blues game on my laptop in front of me. I think I will go. So for the early games, you got Michigan versus Villanova and Arkansas versus Gonzaga. I'll have the Blues game on the big screen at that point in time. Not a big Zags fan, are you? I mean, I'm fine with it, but it, I'm not really all that if, interested if in either an upset, of those two games. If I had to pick an upset tonight, I would take Arkansas. Really? Plus no, the 10. I, Zags I are going all the way, man. With, I have not been impressed Four with Gonzaga. 4-1 on the so money far. line over on Don't the Don't you ever sports, bet against Chet. Uh, Actually, one money betting against Gonzaga in the round of 32. Late games, though. 8.30 is the tip time for two, uh, Duke versus Texas Tech. And then you've got a 9 o'clock tip for Houston versus Arizona. That might be a swisheroo where I go to Ooh, the uh, swisheroo. The like basketball games for the big screen and then when the does, hockey game. Goes when does on the, Texas play? Because I'm going to be rooting tomorrow, heavily tomorrow. against them. Tomorrow they they ruined my parlay. No, One of their assistant coaches. I will be very sure. much rooting for Texas to play, or their assistant coach to. Wait, Texas isn't soon. even in the Sweet Sixteen. Did they get bounced already? They got. They lost to Purdue in this <sighs> round of thirty-two. I was like, wait a minute. I don't You're see Texas lose. on this bracket. Why wouldn't lose to Virginia Tech? I just pretended like I knew that they played tomorrow. Complete, I did too. Like, I, I'm a total fraud. I, I just said, yeah, they played tomorrow. I did that on purpose <laughs> I because looked I, was and I was like, wait, I don't see Texas. Was calling not you guys the bluff. Coming up in 15 minutes, the Cardinals believe in their internal depth. Is there real reason to believe in it this year as opposed to what we saw last year, though? We'll talk about that coming up at 1215. Coming up next, Jordan Cairo. He's got one more step to take to become a, a legitimate elite player. I'll tell you what that step is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think he has the chance to be that first 80-point player the Blues have had since Pavel Dimitra scored 93. So I, maybe maybe the most exciting offensive player all around with the speed he could put on there since, we, since Pavel Dimitra. That was uh, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, on with us this is a couple months ago now, oh. talking about Jordan Cairo and what his closest comp would be to former Blues players. Alex, I was reading over on ESPN.com, Greg Wyshynski had a full-on feature today on Jordan Cairo and why he's earned the Blues trust and what he is doing to become a legitimate star in the league. There was a quote from Doug Armstrong in this piece that I thought to be pretty interesting. And I think it tells you the last step for Cairo to really become that elite level player that we've been talking about this year. Doug Armstrong said, quote, we need him to be that player. If we're going to have success, there's putting up numbers and then there's putting up numbers in a winning fashion. If you know what I mean, we've been fortunate to have a team that's been competing nightly to win for playoff positioning. It's not just point night. I think Jordan understands that it's more important than anyone's personal statistics here. It doesn't matter how good your game is. If you aren't tapping the goalies pads after you have won." end quote, that came from Doug Armstrong to ESPN. Basically, what he's saying is the old quote that I heard from Kim Anderson. Yeah, somebody's got to score for the for the Missouri Tigers. That was when they were winning like nine games. That's a year. when you knew you had a great head coach. Yeah, somebody's got to score points here. 
in Detroit when Robbie Fabry first got there, of course he was going to put up numbers. He's getting a bunch of time on the ice. Somebody's got to score some goals, right? In St. Louis, it's a little different. And Jordan Kyrou's had moments this year where he's gone through some dry spells. That's okay as long as you're contributing in other areas. So whether that be defensively or if you're on the four check or you're winning some board battles, whatever it is, you're, you're, you've got a puck that goes through the crease to perfect pass to Vladimir Tarasenko, whatever it is on a nightly basis, as long as you're contributing towards the winning for the Blues, you're going to continue to get that significant ice time. But there have been times this year where even into the third period, Jordan Kyber's not getting a ton of ice time. And I think it's because it, I think it was – Doug Armstrong, who also said you, you got to do it every night as opposed to three out of every five nights. And I think that's the final step for Jordan Cairo this year is down this stretch run and going into the playoffs when they are relying on him the way that they are to be one of, if not their best player, they need him to be a guy that plays that full 200 foot game. I'm not saying he's got to be your best defender on the ice. I'm not saying he can never have those drop passes that turn into turnovers, but you got to limit that stuff. And that's the way that he makes that step from being a very, very, very good player to legitimately being an elite guy. Yeah, I mean, hearing those comments from Doug Armstrong and reading those comments, reading between the lines there, basically Doug's is, Doug is saying you can't be a liability on the ice. you got to make sure that it's not just about you. It's about the team picking up points. And I don't think Jordan Kyrou plays that way. But to the comment from Craig Bruby on Clem Costin and why he was sent down, he was too unpredictable. Jordan Cairo can be too unpredictable on the ice. Now, it can be a great thing because you never know he's going to score. The excitement factor's there, but you also don't know if he's going to turn the puck over in a one-touch pass in his own zone that's going to result in a puck going into the back of your own net. So it, it was telling quotes from Doug Armstrong because I do think this is the growth process that Robert or that Jordan Cairo's got to go through and it's very similar to what Robert Thomas went through yep. to where you had to learn you're great at passing the puck, but you can't be a liability in our own zone. And look at what he is now. He's one of your best defensive forwards and Craig Berube uses him to that way. So I think that's a big step for Jordan Cairo. I think that's kind of a, a warning shot from Doug Armstrong, like Craig Berube's was when he sat him in the third period it's just making sure that you can get to the style that the Blues trust because they have to have you on the ice. And I also thought in Greg Wyshynski's piece, Darian Hatcher is former head coach with the Sarnia Sting and the former NHL defenseman. I'm what? sorry, I gotta stop you. Are you? Do you have that throw loss? Yeah, I got the throw lozenge. Can you hear it? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. BK got me sick, and so now I'm dealing with this stuff. I feel bad for interrupting you. I'm so I'm sorry. sorry. I can I can hear it swishing around. I'm sorry. Like, what is going on? I'm over sorry. There? That's horrible radio. But what I was saying was, Darian Hatcher said that in junior hockey, he was very inconsistent where he'd have a great game and then a bad game, a great game and the bad game. That's Doug Armstrong saying you can't be this player three out of five times. Mm -hmm. We need you that way every single night. I'm going to go swallow this throat lozenge right now. What else do we have, BK? The other thing that we need to keep in mind, though, is like, while yes, he does still need to take a step. Man, Jordan Kyrou has been a plus 12 in the, on the ice this year. He's leading your team in points. He's got 61 points. No other team has more than 54. Vladimir Tarasenko is second. Nobody else on the roster right now is more than 50. So Jordan Kyrou has definitely been an outstanding player. He's at a greater than point per game basis right now. But there, this is the last step. He's got one more step to take as a player to reach that kind of superstar status in my mind. And he's pretty close to taking it, man. He's, he's really right there. Speaking of superstars. Logan Brown, 
Alex, are you excited to see your boy getting an opportunity to be on that fourth line tonight? Right. That was a shot, and I don't appreciate it. I never called him a superstar. I just said. The top five trade in the history of Doug Armstrong's no, career. It was in the last 10 years. <laughs> Isn't that like his career? And it was fifth. No, he's been here since 2008, T-Bone. In all seriousness, the Blues, uh, based on the rush lines from earlier today, they're going Torupchenko, Brown, and Walker. The line that we all said we wanted to see moving forward as your fourth line, they are actually going to use that tonight as their fourth line. This is a big opportunity for Logan Brown. I love this because I think you need some consistent reps for Logan Brown. You, You can't sit him for a week and then play him in a game. You're never going to get what you want out of Logan Brown. I, I don't think he's going to be that fourth line for Craig Berube's identity of the the hits and in the the hard physical play and wear teams down, but I do think the speed that they have now on that line and the size. I mean, you got six foot five Alexi Torpchenko and six foot five Logan Brown. That's a really big line that you can be playing with with a lot of skill. I think, I really think the fourth line can be effective offensively now for Craig Berube defensively, I'm not so sure about. You might see one of those guys being set in the third period if it's a close game. But I'm glad that they're doing this because Nathan Walker deserves to stay in the lineup for how good he had played in that one game and what we've seen earlier this season. This goes back to what we've talked about all along, where the the identity of the Blues is not going to be the same as it was in 2019. But that doesn't mean it's wrong. The identity of the Blues in 2022 is going to be a transition team. They're going to get out and they're, they're going to have some odd man rushes. They're going to be a team that wins based on their offense. 2019, they won based on their defense and their goal suppression. This year, it's the same thing with the fourth line where they were physical and a bully pulpit type of a team in 2019. And man, that that fourth line, they got out there and they went to work and they were able to set things up for everybody else. And it just felt like they came in waves and waves and waves. Torpchenko, Brown and Walker is not that kind of a line. But man, that is a hell of a lot of speed on the fourth line. That's a lot of length on the fourth line with Brown and Torpchenko. And Walker brings a ton of energy. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk about energy, Walker and Torpchenko bring that to the ice. And they create space, too, with their physical play to where they Absolutely. could allow Logan Brown to create some offensive opportunities. I don't know if this is going to be your fourth line for the rest of the season. I would imagine whenever Tyler Bozak comes back, he's probably going to slot right in here. But I think this is an open audition for the three players right now saying Logan Brown's going to be on the team. But the other two are basically saying, hey, you want to play for the playoffs? This is your opportunity to showcase because if that fourth line continues to play well, they could absolutely tell Tyler Bozak you're a healthy scratch. The Blues fourth line reminds me a lot of the Cardinals search for an outfielder last year, that fourth outfielder. They went through early in the season, Lane Thomas and Justin Williams, and you had Scotty Hurst in there for a little while. And eventually, finally, you got to the point where they brought up Lars Newtbar, and I was like, oh. Wait, this guy's kind of interesting. He's a lefty bat. He can play pretty well defensively out there. He's not great as a hitter, but he's pretty good. He brings a little bit of power. He can kind of do a little bit of everything, right? And we all kind of fell in love with the story, but more so, he's he's a pretty good player. And then he went down to the Arizona Fall League, and he got even more excited about it. Torupchenko's kind of that guy for me, where it's like, is he a perfect player? No. He's probably not going to be a high-scoring guy, and his his future probably is as a legit fourth-liner. Like That's probably what he best profiles as. But he's pretty good, man. And they went through a bunch of different guys that came up at different periods of time, and ultimately they landed on him. And I think the same thing might be true of, George, uh, of Nathan Walker. Like He could be this team's version of, didn't end up working out this way, but a Juan Yepes type of a thing, where Juan Yepes came up, and they were almost expecting him to be a playoff pinch hitter for the Cardinals 
that might be what, what what Nathan Walker's kind of role is here, where it's like, hey, come on up and let's see what you've got in these final 15, 20 games of the season. And can you be a guy that contributes for us? I think those guys are are going to be critical if the Blues are going to make any sort of a run in the playoffs. He just does what Craig Berube asks him. He knows what the task is, and he does it to a really good level. And Logan Brown, don't forget, had five points in his first seven games for the Blues. So the guy's offensively effective. And I, I like Nathan Walker because every time he's been recalled, he finds a way to have an effect in that game. It's just a matter of keeping it consistent because, of course, but earlier in the season in December when they brought him up, he had that hat trick against Detroit in his first game and then got two points against the Anaheim Ducks and then went silent for the next five or six games that he played. So you need consistency, but now he's not relied upon in a top-nine role like he was before. Now you're just a fourth-liner, and you just need to create opportunities. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll be joined by Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN and the Blues Radio Network. Coming up next, though, does the internal depth make you feel more confident in the Cardinals plan this year? Last year, they sold us on it. This year, it feels like everybody else agrees with them. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, I think, you know, it's a competition. Obviously, Woody's going to get an opportunity. Uh, Verhagen's going to get an opportunity. And, and, you know, you saw a young lefty today go. I mean, like, everybody's going to get chances. But, you know, I think the, the, the more pressure it just puts on the other four to make sure we can count on them. So, you know, then the pressure starts to become, you know, how much can you take? Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was John Mosaylock talking about who's going to take that fifth starter role for the Cardinals this year. And I, I do think that right now, if you're looking for the internal options, it seems like the most likely candidates for it are either Verhagen or Jake Woodford. I think those are probably the two guys that are most likely to get that spot in the order. But I, I think as you look further down the road, Alex, it's not just about that fifth starter spot. It's about the pitching depth as a whole, whether that be in the bullpen or the rotation. If somebody else were to go down later on this year, there's a lot of questions from people about do the Cardinals have the depth this year to prevent June from happening again, especially now that we know that at least starting off, you're going to be without Jack Flaherty and Alex Reyes. And as I was looking over yesterday, MLB pipeline, which is uh, MLB.com's breakdown of the prospects list. They put up their top 30 prospects for the Cardinals in 2022. And I want to focus on the pitching side of things, but this included the position players as well, of course. Last year, if you looked at the top 20 list for the Cardinals, zero of those top 20 prospects arrived in the big leagues. Zero. All of them were too far away to actually make their debuts a year ago. Two years ago, only three of the Cardinals' top 20 prospects made their debut in the big leagues. That included Dylan Carlson, Johan Oviedo, and Cody Whitley. Those were the three guys that ended up getting up to the big leagues at some point in 2020. So over the last two years, you've had three total. This year, according to MLB Pipeline, of their top 20 players, 11 are expected to arrive in the big leagues at some point this year. That includes Gorman, Herrera, Yepes, Burleson, Donovan, and Luke and Baker on the uh, position player side. It includes Libertor, Thompson, uh, Payante, Thomas, and Jake Walsh on the pitching side. And not included in that are other guys that we really like on the pitching side of things like Pacheco. So there are other players as well that we would add to that list. 
when you hear this, top 20 prospects, 11 of them are expected to at some point this year arrive in the big leagues. Does it change your pessimism or concern level at all about their lack of depth in the organization to fill some of those those holes that emerge at some point over the year? No, not really. And I hate to say that because I wish I was more optimistic about it, but I'm still worried. I, I mean, the worry might not be to the level that it was last year because there really weren't any options that you felt comfortable with. But I mean, it's not like these guys have had overwhelming numbers in the minors on the pitching side. Like they've been good, but I just don't know how that plays into major league level talent. Like, and I know he's not one of these prospects, but Aaron Brooks is a perfect example. We saw him the first game in spring training. We're thinking, Oh boy, this guy looks good. And then he gets lit up yesterday in another spring training game. So I think for me, I'm still in the mindset of I'll believe it when I see it, when it comes to the pitching depth, like Matthew Levator, it sure as heck doesn't sound like Ali Marmol views him as a guy who could fight for a rotation spot. Now they want more longevity out of him in AAA this year. Zach Thompson it hasn't looked good so far. And then these other guys, I mean, yeah, I'm excited to see this uh, Palante, but it's just the, the track record in, in terms of the minors hasn't been tearing it up. So I'm still a little skeptical when it comes to it. Yeah, I, I find it... I don't know if comforting's the word. I, I find it to, it adds some questions and a little bit more questions instead because you never know how these like Alex. You never know how these guys are going to translate to the big leagues. Now, look, I see some of these guys stuff some of these pitchers. The the position guys, I'm not really focused on. I mean, they're there. They're going to get called up if there's injuries. Otherwise, the roster's pretty much set. The pitching guys are the more interesting ones. We'll see just how they translate when they get to the big leagues. I don't know if it adds comfort to it because to me, I always view minor leaguers as. All right, unless you're like a top 100 prospect, so like the Gormans, the Libertors, and uh, Walker and Herrera that are in that that conversation, those guys I, I have a little bit more comfortability with when they get called up. Otherwise, the rest of it is kind of what Alex was saying is, I got to see it before I believe it. I, I'm not going to immediately say, oh, yeah, let's put my guy Andre Payante into the BK Inferno Circle of Trust. Huh before I see him pitch and have a couple of games where he is actually effective. So I don't know if it adds comfort to it. To me, it almost adds more questions of, okay, it feels like we're going back through what we went through last year of, is this really going to be the depth that we're talking about? Or is this going to be what we talk about like June where it was, where everything just went wrong for this team? Yeah. It gives me a little bit of confidence. Like I think it gives them a fail safe that wasn't there last year. If they end up having so many pitching issues this year that Matthew Libertor has to make his debut in the big leagues last year, I think it would have been a problem. Like they didn't have any sort of way to backfill there. I mean, two years ago, we were talking about Johan Oviedo having to fill into the rotation. Now we're still not sure that he's ready. It's 2022, and we're still not sure if Johan Oviedo is a guy that is ready to pitch in the big leagues. But they were so low on depth in terms of their pitching that he was a guy that he just flat out had to turn to. Jake Woodford has now been developed to the point that I think at least in this room, we're all pretty comfortable with him as a fifth starter. Given what you expect typically from your fifth starter, I think he can be fine there. Um, And now you look at what they've got available to them. Those guys that we've been talking about, all of the guys that we're talking about right now that are kind of on the cusp, man, we've been talking about these guys for like three to five years. It is not anything new. These are the same guys that we were talking about last year and the year before that and the year before that. And they're finally making their way through the minor leagues. I think the Cardinals just ran into a situation where they had a donut. They had a pretty good major league system. They had a pretty good like low A and maybe at at the cusp of coming up to double A. They had nothing available to them at double A or triple A. And it, when we talked to Mark Saxon last year, he said the same thing. He was going down to Memphis. He was going down to Springfield. He was like, guys, there is no pitching depth down there. They had to sign guys that were coming out of like the frontier league. Remember Dickerson? 
I think the, it was his name. Corey? Yeah, they had the to DM. sign like 37-year-old oh, pitchers that were pitching in the independent leagues just to give them innings because they flat out didn't have prospects that could go down there and give them any sort of real innings. Now they have those guys. The depth has now started to emerge in a way that is meaningful. And when you have that as a fail-safe internally, it allows you a little bit of time. That's what it buys you. It buys you the benefit of time. Last year, the problem for the Cardinals in June was, man, they didn't have the benefit of time. They needed somebody now, now, now. If you get into a similar situation this year where you've got a couple of starters that go down after Jack Flaherty gets hurt, okay, yeah, maybe Matthew Libertor can emerge into our rotation. We've got a guy like Verhagen that's there. We've got Aaron Brooks. We've got Connor Thomas. Jake Walsh can maybe give us some innings. We've got Zach Thompson who could maybe come up and be a lefty coming out of the pin. Even if we don't love him as a starter, maybe he can give you some innings as a as a bullpen guy. They just have a lot more players that they can lean upon that are down in the minor league system right now, and they haven't had that for at least the last three years. And I think as much as we focus on the payroll and the money and who they're paying and are they going out there and getting the right guys? Sometimes it does come down to, especially for this team, what do you have that's coming up from the minors? And when they didn't have that as a backstop over the last couple of years, that's where they fell short more so than some of those big time players that they were missing. And I said, I think it was in the off season we were talking about this or it was near the playoffs. I remember, Last year, you know, I didn't see. You always have to have those guys that can ride that uh, that road up from AAA to the majors, especially in your bullpen. And last year, you talked about it, and I touched on it. I think in the off season, I didn't see that. And now that we're starting to see this prospect list come out from MLB Pipeline, and you're seeing all these relief arms that are on there, the Piantes, and now you got Pacheco that's on the roster, Walsh, Connor Thomas. You feel a little bit better about it because originally I looked at it a couple months ago and said. Really, your only guys you might have that go up and down are like Junior Fernandez, and you've seen him, and it's not it has been a great experience with him so far. It was a little worrisome, but now we're seeing some of these guys that we're talking about in spring training, and they've looked pretty good so far. You feel a little bit more comfortable with it. Last thing here, somebody from the three one four says talking about the same prospects for three years isn't is a good thing, isn't it? Development's key. At least those prospects didn't fall off. Yeah, it's absolutely a good thing. The thing is, these were the same guys that we were talking about as potential answers three years ago. They weren't ready at that point in time. Now they can actually be an answer for some of the questions that are plaguing the Cardinals right now. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer, but Joey Vitale joins the show next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by the Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend and the Blues Analyst for 101 ESPN and the Blues Radio Network. He's Joey Vitale joining us here on the show. Joey, how you doing today, man? Joey, Joey, Joey. Hey, boys. Doing great. Just coming home from the rink right now. Great morning to skate. And uh, looking forward to this matchup here tonight. We're doing well. Thanks for asking. Absolutely. Um, Joey, I did want to ask you, the big news today, uh, unfortunately, is the loss of Tory Krug for uh, apparently it's a week to week injury. The Blues earlier today, as you saw, went with Nick Letty and Colton Pareko as that top pair. They've got Scandella with Falk and then Mikola in Bortuzzo. How, how much of a loss is this for the Blues? And do you think they're going to be able to make up for it with Nick Letty? 
Yeah, I do. I think they're going to make up for it just fine. You know, I think if there's a, a, a replaceable player for Tory Krug, it is probably Nick Letty in the league. Honestly, it's, it's so crazy that we got him, and then the same game, Tory Krug goes out. I love the way Nick Letty kind of subbed in there on that power play top unit in that Washington game. Pete uh, BK looked very calm, very poised, being the quarterback at the top of the key with all those veteran players. On that top unit, quite frankly, that have been together a very, very long time. So I think he settled in very nicely uh, from the, the intangibles to the tools. I think you're looking at a very, very similar player as far as the puck movement, how he puts the puck on the tape of the players. He's quick and up and out of the zone in a hurry. doesn't like to spend too much time in the defensive zone. So uh, from, a, from a stand back set here, I think you look at this replacement for Tory Krug. Although he will be missed in a lot of ways, I think Nick Letty would be would be a good player to kind of fill in and, and take over for him. Joe, I know we don't want to speculate on, on what Tory Krug's going through, but it did look like when we've seen the replays that it was either a hand or a finger or something like that. I'm sure you've been through this before as a hockey player. How tough of an injury is this for Tory Krug? Yeah, you know, you know, obviously it's the upper body. You know, I looked at the play a couple times again. I, you know, it kind of doesn't look like there was much there. Um, from a hack or whack standpoint, you, know, you almost wonder if it's something that's been kind of nagging him for a little while here. So, you know, from an upper body standpoint, is it, is it frustrating? Yes. Is it really frustrating? No. I think from a player standpoint, to your question, Alex, anything, anything upper body is, is correctable, right? It's something you can kind of work through. At least you can still skate. At least you can get down the bike, do some workouts. I mean, the really tough injuries, especially this time of the year, are the knees, uh, the high ankle sprains, which we see a lot in the sport, which the Blues have dodged a lot of bullets on, I think, this year, knock on wood. Uh, but a lot of high ankle sprains, those are the ones that really trip you up. We got to take such good care of them. And even when you come back, it's one little tweak that can kind of throw it off. So anything upper body is certainly uh, unfortunate, but I think it's something that Tory Krug, hopefully week to week, will be able to come back and be in a good position for this team uh, with hopefully five, ten games remaining as you can kind of make that, that segue into the playoff setting. So, Joe, with, without Tory Krug in the lineup, what do you think Mike Van Ryan's looking for as an identity player with Justin Falk? Because, I mean, for so long, Falk and Krug made that great tandem of moving the puck out of their zone quick through transition. But now is he going to have to alter that identity with a little bit more stay-at-home defensive style with either Scandella or Mikola? No, I don't think so. I think that, you know, this coaching staff, you know, after talking to Craig Berube, and he kind of confirmed it this morning, uh, they're really big on one thing I've noticed, and that's just letting the players play. You know, I, I think that we give the coaches a lot of credit, uh, but I think the credit for the coaches here in St. Louis should be about how much freedom they give these players who are really good. I mean, keep in mind, these are, these are some of the best in the world, and I think that we look too deep into coaching. I certainly do at times where, oh, they're bringing the best out of the player or they've changed a, a line, they've done something differently, and, and now they're winning. But I think that this coaching staff in particular, to Mike Van Ryan and Craig Bruby's point, is that they just allow the players just to go out there and do their thing. So to your question about Mike Van Ryan and what he's got to tell Justin Falk or, or, or Nick Letty, for example, I, I think it's actually not that much. I think they're just going to go out there and, and just play you and be you. And then I think you know Craig Bruby kind of hit on it a little bit this morning about the success of the power play. You know, I think someone in the, in the scrum was asking about, was it Steve Ott? Did Steve Ott play a big role into why this power play is so good? And, and Craig Bruby pretty much just said that, yeah, although he's got great knowledge of it, he also is just a really good communicator and just allows those players just to go out there and be creative, look for plays. I mean, they're hockey players. They've been hockey players the whole life. Let them kind of do their thing. So I would imagine the conversation with Justin Falk tonight is going to be something similar to that. 
Joey Vitale is our guest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Joey, we talked about Colton Pareko a little bit earlier today, and in his last 18 games, he's a plus 20 on the ice. That's going back to February 10th, and in that stretch, he has the best plus minus in the league. Now, I know plus minus can be a skewed statistic, but in that stretch, he's playing 24 minutes per game. He's just played really well, and he looks like a legit number one defenseman for the Blues. What have you noticed that has led to this success for Colton Pareko? Is there anything specific that you can put your your finger on? You know, I BK, I without talking to Colton, so I can't confirm this. I think this is probably the healthiest he's been in a couple of years. I think you know, last year the, the back and the knee injury really set him back, and I think even to start this season, he was kind of working out the kinks. You know, he went through the grind of the year. I think he was still kind of battling here and there with stuff, but right now, this is the healthiest he's looked, and I can say that because this is the best he's skated. So to answer your question about how much success he's having, he's never skated this good probably in the last two seasons, at least in my mind. The way he can break the puck out single-handedly with the puck on a stick without necessarily moving it all the time, just moving his feet with the puck, get up and out of the zone. Uh, not only that, but he'll dump the puck in, he'll be in on the forecheck. You know, he'll make a mistake. He's one of the first ones back. If his partner gets caught, he can still break up a play. I mean, the way he chugs his legs, the way he can move, how effectively and efficiently he can get there with his legs, but also the reach of his stick, uh, to me, it's just made the biggest difference for him and into why he's been so much successful, especially late, like you mentioned. Joe, speaking of skating, a new look to the fourth line tonight as they get Thomas and Tarasenko back, but uh, McEachern being the healthy scratch and Logan Brown getting that center spot. And I really find this fascinating because Berube has said in the past that they don't view him as a bottom forward but I like the identity of a line that's got some size, it's got some speed, and it's got some ability to create some space. Yeah, some definitely some size in the middle with, with Logan Brown, but I love the two fireballs on his wings. You know, as you mentioned, uh, one is like Andre the Giant with Torpinko, <laughs> and then the other one's like a little Danny DeVito and Nathan Walker <laughs> I mean, on the left side there. So, uh, But they both bring the same thing, energy. And that's what this team needs right now is just energy. You need guys that are going to step over the boards, and they're going to make a difference in the game. They're going to either, either grab momentum, or they're going to keep momentum. One of the two, you have to be a fourth line. You have to do that. You know, Aaron Asham was uh, a player that I play with who perfected the fourth line, and he'd have a couple things he'd say. He didn't say very much, but uh, one thing he did always tell me is that, you know, we're a momentum line. And for this fourth line for the Blues tonight, they got to be a momentum line. And what does that mean? If you have the momentum, you got to step on the boards and you got to keep it. Okay. And one of the hardest things to do is when you don't have the momentum, how you can go out there and grab it, whether it be a big hit or a great shift, just grinding it out for 40 seconds of the defensive zone, um, you know, getting at the goal, you know, causing havoc, whatever, whatever that looks like, but that that's what you got to do. Um, so, you know, he had a couple other rules too. He, he said that, you know, on a fourth liner, you never, you never do three things. You never step off sides. Um, you never, you never get scored against. You never take a penalty. And I, and I always would joke to with them. I would say, okay, I get that. Don't get scored on. And I get that don't take a penalty, but what do you mean offside? He goes, well, because if you step off sides, there's a whistle. And you know what happens when there's a whistle, right? I go, yeah, the coach takes us off. He goes, exactly. So we want to play more. <laughs> so um, to that point there, that's, that those, are the, those are the three rules that they are in Ashton, how to survive as a fourth liner in this league. But, you know, I think this fourth line can certainly do some damage here. It, it certainly has um, the size, like you mentioned, with Torpchenko and Brown. It's got the energy between Torpchenko and, and Walker. Uh, Brown has has slid a little bit from a production standpoint. This could be a great opportunity for him to have some great speed on both sides to get in on the forecheck, to hold on the puck down low, to kind of get his game back up and running again. Uh, but I talked to Nathan Walker this morning just on the side. Uh, terrific young kid. Uh, guys are so pumped that he's here. The coach absolutely loves him. It's unfortunate that he's so small and he's a little bit underskilled. That's the only thing that's prevented him from playing 
a long time in this National Hockey League because from an energy standpoint, he certainly got it. I asked him on the side this morning, I go, well, you know, where, where does your work ethic, where does your passion come from? And a pretty cool story. His, his dad was a carpenter growing up by trade. Uh, now works at the airport. Uh, his mom used to be a cop, but uh, it was his dad, you know, in the carpentry, used to take Nathan with him. They did a lot of work together, you know, building sheds and workout places together. But he just learned his work ethic from his dad. And so it was really, really cool to kind of hear him talk about his parents and how they kind of instilled that in him. Because for an undersized kid, uh, very undersized kid in the league, especially nowadays, I mean, look at him compared to Torpchenko. Uh, there's a reason why he's here. There's a reason why he's still successful. And it's because he's just got a motor that doesn't quit. That's fantastic. Hey, Joe, I'm curious. Aaron Ashram gave you that great advice on the fourth line. Who gave you better advice, Aaron or Paul Bissonette, when he told you never blanking dump the puck in? Oh, my God. Yeah, those are – I had a, some learning curves, of course, <laughs> with some veterans um, <laughs> in the league between those two and Jesse Bolaris, who we had a scoring chance in one of our first games. I played with Jesse Bolaris, who was a killer. And then when he came off the bench and he said, see, we can do that every shift. I was like, oh, boy, that's – <laughs> That's a pretty tall task, uh, Jesse. I don't know if we can we can live up to that. Uh, you know what? No, there was some good advice. There was also some shenanigans. I, I played with Paul a long time, obviously, and and we had some some great things he said. He also said some very curious things, like he he, he claimed that if ever he was attacked by a bear in the woods, he would survive. And when we challenged him on it, he said, "Yeah, I would just find a big like sequoia or big like round timber tree." And then, uh, of course, we're all like, "Well, what are you going to do next?" He's like, "Well, basically." wherever the bear goes, I'll just go the other way. <laughs> so you just kind of distance yourself from the bear. So, and we're like, okay, so if the bear goes like around the tree to the right, you're going to left. He's like, yeah, you basically like just keep the tree between you. He, guys, he was dead serious. He's like, you just keep the tree between you and the black bear. And then, and then you're fine. Like you're not, he won't, he just won't get you. And eventually he's probably just going to get tired and hungry. And, and then he's just going to, he's going to run off. So as well as Paul's taught me a lot of great things in life, he's also taught me a lot of stupid things in life. And, I, and, and trying to decipher the two of them uh, has certainly always been a challenge, even to this day. Joey, you're the absolute That's best. Awesome. It's a treat to speak with you each and every week. All the best to you, man. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk with you again next week. Sounds good, boys. Have a great week. Take it easy. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. You'll hear him tonight on the call. Blues versus the Flyers pregame with Alex, a very healthy, strapping young man coming up at 6 o'clock. Joey Vitale has the call with Chris Kerber coming up at 7 o'clock. Coming up next, we'll blab into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We got into the break and Tanner said, I've got something for us today in the junk drawer. It ain't great, it, but it's junk. Yeah, that's right. Just what's what's in my, buddy, what do you got for Choose us today? What's in my junk drawer at home? Uh, well, I don't think this is in your junk drawer. So a man was trying to get across the U.S. border and he was going into uh, California and he got stopped by uh, the authorities. And when they pulled him over and they took him out of the van and were checking him, he had, let's see, I got to make sure I get the number correct here, 52 reptiles hidden in his clothing. How many? 52. What kind of reptiles? I'm trying to imagine here where you're hiding these things. He had nine snakes. Where where, where are these reptiles hidden? Well, it's weird because they're like Probably wearing cargo pants. They're in like. Him and and Tanner hanging out together. 
Oh, now it was uncalled for. I'm just saying. You said that they're useful. This yeah, is what they're useful they're in, for. Like, they're like in bags too. I don't understand how they're how they're breathing. Oh, well, at here. least they're confiscated. There, there's nine snakes and 43 horned lizards that were seized. Oh well, you know the horned lizards are probably up top. I'm trying to <laughs> yeah. figure out what you're these... not putting horned lizards down below because you don't want to get poked. That's a good point. There's, there's a lot of areas that are sensitive for that. So I'm trying to figure out which one's more, more strange. That story or Tanner, I've got one for you as well. We can You can give us a gold versus the silver. Which one wins the award here? Well, T-Bone's out of bronze right now. So oh. I'll just go ahead and read you this full story. It's only three sentences. Oh, okay. A former Cameron County employee was sentenced to 50 years in prison in 2018. Why, you may ask? Is that Florida, by the way? Where'd you uh, say Cameron Texas. County? It's Texas. Yeah, close enough. He was sentenced to 50 years in, print, uh, in prison in 2018 for stealing millions of dollars worth of fajitas. Oh. This gentleman pled guilty to stealing the fajitas over the course of nine years what? while employed by the juvenile de- uh, detention center. The Texas Department of Criminal Justice website shows that he is eligible for a parole coming up in 2023. His projected release date is in 2038. Well, He's currently in a facility down in Gatesville, Texas. I'm so confused. You're, yeah, you're me stealing, too, buddy. You're stealing, like, are the fajitas cooked already? I don't know how. Or, like, are, you're what just are steal- you doing with the fajitas? You're just millions stealing. Millions of dollars? You're just stealing vegetables. How do you and steal? Meat. How much fajita meat, veggies, Tortillas, whatever it is, are you stealing over the course of nine me- nine years? Well, for it to equate to millions of dollars. If you go to the grocery store, you could buy a green pepper, a red pepper, steak, onions, and a tortilla for less than twenty dollars. What are you doing with this stuff? Are you then selling it probably, underhand to prob- a Mexican restaurant? Like, what's going you're on? You're probably here? meeting up with our guy with the horned lizards and the snakes <laughs> in his pants and having yourself a party. That would be a wild night. That would I feel be like a Jamie Rivers night. has probably shown up to that kind of a party at J- one point. You know, in his Jamie life. Rivers has, <laughs> has hidden a, a horned lizard at some point in his clothing. Which one of those do you think is more wild? The guy that hid, what was it, 52? 52 reptiles. Reptiles underneath his clothing, or this gentleman that worked at a prison who was stealing millions of dollars worth of fajitas over a nine year stretch? T Bones is more wild because I don't really know. Well, I know what he's doing. I'm probably trying to sell those reptiles for money, or maybe he thinks they're pets. Yours is more curious. I just don't know what you're doing with a million dollars worth yeah, of fajita ingredients. $1.2 million. Because even if you're going to try and sell those, what's your selling point? Hey, I hid these in my pants to get here. Like if you're stealing jewels or diamonds or watches or like brand name clothes. Okay. I could see like, I obviously would be opposed to that. That's not a great thing to do, but I could see how that would make sense, right? You you go resell that somewhere else. You're making a big profit off of it. This is perishable items. Did, did he, did he these own, go bad. Did very he own quickly. a restaurant? Like, I wonder if that. I wonder if that's. No, he worked, worked in a prison. Prison, man. I know, but you could still own something on the side. I don't think so. I got man. a fun game for you guys in the junk drawer. What? It's called Drunk or Stupid. You want to play? Okay. So this guy in Alabama called the cops because he thought there was a tiger on the loose in his backyard. Cops came out, walked in his backyard. It was a stuffed tiger. Drunk or stupid? 
That's got to be. I don't think that's just drunk. That's more than drunk. Were you about to say he's got to be hammered? <laughs> he's got to be high. There is, there is like apparently Missouri is looking. one of the options. Missouri's apparently looking at legalizing mushrooms. There were some mushrooms that were involved in that was story. Was it one of the options? Was it drunk or stupid? I'm going drunk. All of the above. It was just some mushrooms because on the he side. was not drunk or high. He just really thought that that tiger wasn't in a real I tiger. I mean, I've fallen for one of those before. Like it's late. If it's late at night, I've gone on a walk. Hold on, you've fallen for a stuffed tiger. No, no, looks no, real. Like one of those like fake deers that are in a yard. This like, reminds me. I've been, on a, me, walk. I've been not, on a walk before. I'm like, know, oh wow, there's a deer, and then I stand there and I go, oh, it has a move for three minutes. You know how big an actual tiger is, right? Yeah. And you know what a stuffed tiger looks like. I don't know how big the stuffed tiger is. <gasps> well, I can promise you it wasn't 300 plus pounds. It could have been the actual size. Okay. This reminds me of, remember when that uh, Civil Life, they've got the giraffe that's outside of their brewery and somebody stole it a, f- a couple of years ago. This was back in, I think, 2020. This was during the middle of the, pa- the pandemic. Somebody just decided, I'm going to steal this massive I remember that, yeah. sculptured uh, <laughs> Giraffe. This. this like, what is, are you? What are you doing with that? This What's is the point. Putting is, it in your backyard. <laughs> this is how the junk drawer goes on our show. I just got two texts. One from my dad that just says LSD trip. I'm assuming he's talking <laughs> yeah, about the tiger. Sense. And then I got one from my wife's uncle that says I just got in the car and hear you talk about fajitas in your pants. What the hell, ladies and gentlemen? Well, those are two different drawer. stories. Fajitas were stolen, and a guy had reptiles in his pants, while another gentleman thought yeah, but that... I said he, he probably hid the fajitas in his pants. Another gentleman thought a stuffed tiger was a real tiger in his backyard. Ladies and gentlemen, the junk drawer. Coming up in 15 we minutes, we'll, got, we'll get into a we game of Believe It or Not. Here. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us a scenario. We will tell you if we believe it or not. But next, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important players for 2022 with a guy who was pretty damn important in 2021. Might even be more important in 2022. Tell you who that is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And now, the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2022 season on BK and Ferrario. Number 13, Henesis Cabrera. Swing and a miss and a strikeout for Cabrera. By Cabrera, he struck him out. Henesis Cabrera comes in at number 13 on our list of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2022. Alex, last year he was right around this same area, and I think you could make an argument that he is even more important to the team this year than he was a year ago. Alex had Henesis Cabrera right at number 13. Tanner had him all the way at number 11. I had him at number 14. Now with the loss of Alex Reyes, if we were redoing our list today, I think I would bump him up on my list. And the reason why... Is because I think that he becomes that much more important at the back end of your pen. You only have two guys that you really trust right now back there. And it's Giovanni Gallegos and Henesis Cabrera. I know his command can go in and out, but man, when he is on, he's one of the most dynamic pitchers in baseball. Last year, I felt like coming into the season when we were doing this list, I remember saying, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year, Giovanni Gallegos is considered to be one of the best and most important relievers in baseball. I feel the same way going into this year about Henesis Cabrera. We went into last year and I asked, can he take on that role that Andrew Miller once held in a bullpen where There are certain days where he's going two innings. He maybe comes in in the sixth inning, gives you the sixth and the seventh. He's able to be a fireman in one inning, then pull a full inning in the next one. I think that's going to be his role this year. I think that when you hear the the manager, Ali Marmol, talking about modernizing some of his pitching approaches, 
I think one of the guys that immediately comes to mind for me is Hennessy's Cabrera and the way that he's going to be used. Last year, he had 15 appearances where he went more than an inning. I think you could see even more than that this year out of Hennessy's Cabrera. He comes in at number 13 on our list of the 20 most important. Yeah, I put him at 13 on this list because I feel like he will be an Andrew Miller role for the Blues this year, and I could see him getting opportunities to close at times this year. What happened? Is he going to play left side defenseman or right side? What did I say? The Blues. For the Blues. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Painkillers pain are kicking in. Right now. <laughs> it's all good, buddy. Keep going. No, Andrew Miller. He's going to have an Andrew Miller type of role this year for the Cardinals. And I said, I don't think he... Man, now you ruined my flow here, BK. <laughs> I, I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some closing opportunities. I was really surprised to look at the numbers. Obviously, the walkouts are the walks are, are still somewhat of an issue, but he cut them down more significantly than you would imagine. But he only gave up three home runs and 70 innings pitch last year. Like, like that's an impact arm for you uh, throughout this season. So only given up eight home runs in his big league career over the course of 103 appearances and more than 100 innings. Eight home runs. That's pretty amazing. And 36 walks through 70 innings. It's not great, but, you know, it could be worse, especially from what we saw last year. So that means he's making contact and it's not going out of the park. We all love this defense. So I think you could see... I don't think he gets there, but I could think you. I think you could see a borderline all-star in Hennessy Cabrera this year for what he could do from the left side and how impactful he'll be. I mean, he's definitely got the stuff to do, and I think he is going to have to take on more of that Andrew Miller type role where it's two innings because, and this is part of the reason I had him up at eleven. He was he's the only guy that I view as a setup guy on this team. They don't really have that seventh inning guy, and I know that Alex Reyes was kind of a setup slash closer man for them uh, last year, but with them wanting to stretch him out, I didn't view him as a setup guy anymore. It, it, it's basically Hennessy Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos. It, that's the one-two punch for late innings. So that's why I had him all the way up at number 11, and sometimes he is going to have to cover that seventh and eighth inning for you, especially if you're going to go piggyback uh, options in your bullpen. You're going to be very limited in how many guys are going to be fresh in that bullpen, and sometimes it is going to be Hennessy Cabrera that's going to have to go two innings, and I truly think he can take on that Andrew Miller role, and not only take it on, I think he can be better than what Andrew Miller was. So one thing I'm curious about with the way that they use him this year is last year they he, he threw a bunch more sinkers. He started implementing that more and more into the, his repertoire. One of two things has got to happen. The sinker has to get better for him, or he's got to ditch it, because two years ago, he didn't use it very much at all. It, it was not part of what he did in 2019 or in 2020. And then suddenly it emerged and he used it about 20% of the time. It became his secondary pitch really last year. He used it 20%. It was about 20% curve, 20% change as well. It did not go well. The sinker was what got hit pretty hard and pretty regularly. If he goes with more of the four seam again, I think you could see him revert back to what he was in 2020 and what he was early on in his career when he was at his best. When he's at his best, man, he's blowing it by everybody. You've got a bunch of sinker ball pitchers that are in your bullpen right now, especially now that you've added some more guys from the outside and TJ McFarland is back in that mix. I don't think you need everybody to throw the same way. Hennessy Cabrera is the one guy in that bullpen right now that has that blow it by you type of stuff. I would like to see him really rely on that going into this year. So I think Hennessy Cabrera is a huge piece of what they're trying to do back there. I think he's going to get multiple innings, a pretty decent amount going into the season. And really, it's him and it's Gallegos. And I'm with you guys. I think he's going to get some some real closing opportunities this year. It's not always going to go smooth because we know there are times when he just doesn't have his best stuff. He doesn't have command and that goes poorly. But I think it's a big year for Hennessy Cabrera. He comes in at number 13 on our list of the 20 most important Cardinals. good for the Blues, too. <clears throat> 
Tomorrow we'll get into a starter that I think is going to be he's going to take on an even bigger role for this team now that Jack Flaherty is going down. We'll get to that coming up tomorrow on our as we continue our countdown. Speaking of starters, though, Alex, earlier today I was listening to Greg Amsinger. He was on with Carriker and Smallman. And he brought up a name that I have brought up a couple of times. And I know people are sick of hearing me talk about him. So let's hear what Greg Amsinger has to say about one Sean Mania. I do not think it would be a rental. I think this is a guy, knowing him personally, that he would get acquired by the Cardinals. You wouldn't have to give up a ton because it's only one year. He'll be a free agent at the end of 2022. He's 30 years old. You won't take a lot to lock him up long term. He's got deception. He's, he's kind of quirky on the mound, but he's got terrific swing in this stuff. I would go Sean Mania just because of the look of the rotation. Frankie Montas, outstanding talent. I would take Montas any day of the week, and I think the Cardinals are literally in the mix to get him. So that's Greg Amsinger, who believes that the Cardinals are in the mix to be able to get Sean Manaya. John Heyman, for what it's worth, tweeted yesterday, interested teams are getting the impression that the A's now very well may hold on to their two young star starters, including Frankie Montas and Sean Manaya. Some believe they will be open to dealing Manaya, but it is quite possible they keep both, at least into the season. This may be more of a deadline type of who move. do I believe? I think that the A's are eventually going to trade one, maybe both of these guys. I think Sean Manaya will not finish the season on the Oakland A's. I do wonder if this is a situation where they're saying, we think we're going to get a better return from Manaya at the trade deadline than we will right now. When teams get more desperate, when these injuries start to take place. And honestly, I think it's a probably a pretty smart play by them because we know the Cardinals are not the only team that are going to lose a starter to injury. As we continue on the first month or two months of the season, there are going to be a bunch of teams that lose some of their really important starters to some sort of significant elbow or shoulder injury, especially after this weird offseason that we just had. Guys are going to get ramped up. They're going to start going seven innings. You get into May, June, boom, an ace goes down and maybe it's the, the Mets or the Dodgers or the Padres. And now they don't have the pitching depth that they were hoping for. Boom, Sean Manai is available. Give up whatever it takes to go get that guy because this is an all-in year for us. I think that very well could happen. And if it does, I don't think the Cardinals are acquiring Sean Manai. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's a bad move by the Cardinals if you want Sean Manai because the problem with you waiting is, one, he could get injured and then that list is off. Two, Cardinals are going to have multiple teams bidding on him, and that's where the Cardinals back out of that bidding race because they're not going to give up the assets to outduel, say, a Dodgers team or a Padres team that wants to upgrade. Now is the time to do it because everyone's going into camp feeling like, oh, yeah, we got a good squad. Nobody's willing to give up the assets that could uh, acquire a Sean Manaya. If I'm the Cardinals and I feel like a large Newt Bar or Juan Yepes could get that done, doing it now rather than at the trade deadline so I don't have to go into a bidding war for this player. Yeah, I, I'm with you, but the, if you're the Oakland A's, it does make sense to wait till that trade deadline because of what the amount of teams hurt, that become though? desperate. I, I mean, that's, the that's, risk. that's a risk. That's the big but risk. I, Wouldn't you rather get something now? I don't think he's as much a risk as like Frankie Matas, who's had, I think, shoulder injuries in the past, if I'm not mistaken. He's not as risky. I think he's been kind of a steady guy that's going to pitch for you. I think if you're the A's, he's going to be the best starter, starting pitcher on the market, right next with Frankie Matas and maybe, uh, uh, what's that lefty's name in uh, Baltimore? Um, drawn and Brank. John Me- Means? Means, yeah. He'll probably be on the trade deadline. I don't know if Baltimore are actually moving because of all the team control he has. But if you already know, you're probably going to have the best starting pitcher on the market unless there's a surprise team that falls out of it. I mean, Luis Castillo will be up there too. 
then it probably is better to wait until the deadline, especially now that teams actually kind of have their teams filled out. There's only the Cardinals, and then there's probably just another handful of teams that are just looking for more of a depth guy. You get to the trade deadline, everybody's looking for pitching at that time. Even if they have a healthy rotation, they're always looking for a pitcher. It makes more sense for the A's to hold on to them. But if you're the Cardinals, yeah, you probably should be trying to get something done rather now than when more teams are involved in this bidding war. Yeah, if you're going to get Shaman and I, I think if the Cardinals are at least, I think that it has to happen now. That, that's the only way that I think this happens for this team because of the way that they operate with their assets. They're not going to be giving up significant prospects for a guy like Manaya. If they get him, it probably is the deal that we kind of talked about yesterday where it's a Lars Newbar or a Juan Yepes and then maybe one of the lottery tickets that's down in the system right now. It, based on the fact that the deal isn't done, I would have to imagine that means that the A's aren't interested in that kind of a deal, at least not at this moment in time. Yeah, since spring training started. I I think that the Cardinals are going to go into the year with a current rotation. Now, I understand if you're a Cardinals fan and you think to yourself, I'm not all that interested in what they have currently. I think the Cardinals are telling you, though, that they feel okay about it. And they might ultimately be proven wrong. This is a big bet that they're placing on Verhagen and Jake Woodford. And later this year, if it ends up being more... Uh, significant in terms of the injury than what we're expecting right now with Flaherty. I think maybe that puts some pressure on Liberatore as well, but the Cardinals seem to believe that they've got the internal options that could actually get this done. As the great Janet once said, yippee! Coming up in 15 minutes, do the Cardinals currently have a top five infield in the National League? But next, let's play a game of Believe It or Not here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I, I know it'll make you feel better. Uh, Nyquil, we skipped this last week. Thank God. Did we did this? On well, we did on Friday. How's it going to sound more awesome? I'm not singing. Believe it or not, oh, yeah. I'm walking on air. Never thought I could feel so free. What happened? Oh, I don't win. <laughs> can't do it. Can't do it alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon earlier. Kiley. I'm really sorry, guys. Hey, by the way, one thing to announce real quick, if you're going to be listening to the show tomorrow, as you always should, you should be listening from 7A to 6P, honestly, here. Whoa, on whoa, 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 I got pre and post. 6, 7A to 12P, 12A. Don't listen to 12P because you got to go past 12P. 12A. Corey Dickerson, the Cardinals' new designated hitter, going to be joining the show tomorrow. Very Let's excited go. to have him on with us. Let's get into some Believe It or Not, though, right now. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, the Kansas City Chiefs will miss the playoffs this year. Ooh, spicy. Uh, I always get confused by this. Eight teams. Do you believe that? No, 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 not that. Eight teams (laughs) in the (laughs) NFC. Come on, man. We've been doing this for long enough. This isn't like, are we sure? Which is confusing. It's it's eight teams that get into the playoffs. Seven. Seven. Okay. So the way I look at this, the AFC West is getting. Our show should be in quarantine. Not not because we've got. I, I've been tested. Oh, I don't man, have, why would you say that on the air, man? Just because we're all very why sick with a cold. Why you tell me? I would not be working here right now. <laughs> I want to make sure we clear that up. The sickest midday show in the area. <laughs> up top. Right, boys? Not for that. No, no, touch me. Look, I think the Bills are getting in. I think the Bengals are getting in. I think the Titans are getting in. And I think three teams are getting in the AFC West. So I will say with that. I'm going to believe I'm not going to believe this because I think the Kansas City Chiefs will make the playoffs this year. 
Let's see, I got Buffalo in. I think Cincy, Some, Baltimore. Someone said, why is it spicy? It's a spicy first question. Come Tennessee. On I think Indy could get in. Indy can't get in. This they got stink. an actual quarterback now in Matt Ryan. That's what we said about Phillip Rivers and how'd that work? They made the playoffs. Yeah, but they lost. I'm not going by if they lose. Uh, Where are I, we right now? I, I think I'm... I'm not going to believe this. I think they get in, but I think they could be the seventh seed. Like, I, I think they have taken that much of a fall missing Tyree Kill. Defensively, I'm not sure if they've really upgraded that much. The defense played pretty well down the stretch last year. I, I still think they get in. I got enough faith in Patrick Mahomes to get them Let's the Let's get it from the actual pulse of the Chiefs' kingdom. A quarterback as good as Patrick Mahomes doesn't miss the playoffs. It's just the reality. But what about a quarterback with as ta- much talent as he has with Marquez Valdez-Scantling as his wide receiver? Tom Brady has missed the playoffs once in his career. It he happened in 2002 where they were between the first Super Bowl and then they won two Super Bowls thereafter. Surprisingly enough, Aaron Rodgers has only missed the playoffs one time in his career. He missed it. The, the, the Packers missed it in 2017, but he was hurt for the majority of that season. 2018, that was the year that Mike McCarthy got fired. They missed the playoffs and they haven't missed a since. When you have a quarterback that's on the pantheon of some of the greatest ever, you don't miss the playoffs. Now, you might not go far. You might end up being a wild card team, as you mentioned, Alex. Um, you might not be a team that anybody believes in from start to finish. But a quarterback that is a future Hall of Famer that we believe to be the best in the league that is up there with the likes of Rodgers, Brady, Manning, Montana, like in that ilk, you don't miss the playoffs ever. So I understand how good this division is, and it is better than at any point the NFC North was in uh, in Aaron Rodgers' career or the AFC East was in Brady's career. Patrick Mahomes is who we think he is. They're not missing the playoffs this year. I do not believe this. I think that they will end up at like 10-7, and 9-8, like the Raiders or the Chargers were a year ago, but I do not think they ultimately miss the playoffs. I got one for you guys. Yeah. Believe it or not, Tua Tungavailoa is a better quarterback than Kyler Murray after this upcoming season. Ooh, spicy. Can I amend this a little bit? Why Can I do a do BK? That? Uh, is, is this a BK buildup? Because nobody likes those. I believe, that Tua, <laughs> I believe that Tua Tungavailoa will have a better season than Kyler Murray. I think if you put Kyler Murray in Tua's situation, I think Kyler would be better than Tua. But I think Tua just has such a better situation right now than Kyler does. I think he has a better coach. I think he has better weapons. I think he has a better offensive line. All of that is a better situation right now in Miami than it is in Arizona. So I will say that Tua will have a better season this year than Kyler will. I do not think he's a better player, though, than Kyler. I think Kyler, if you just flipped their situations, would have a better season in Miami than what we'll actually see this year from Tua. I think Kyler's a wash-up. Is that a fair way to phrase it? I think Kyler's a wash-up, so I'd say Tua's better. But that's a better way of phrasing it. And I'd say I'm believing this one because I think now with his new head coach, Tua being healthy with all of these weapons and updated offensive line, I think two is going to have himself a really good season and quiet some of the doubters this year. And I think he's going to be better than Kyler Murray. And I think Kyler Murray is going to have a lot of people questioning his ability as a quarterback. Yeah, I would believe this too. I, I think Tua is going to put up better number, better numbers this year because he's in the better spot. Kyler, I mean, you look at his weapons, 
He's got DeAndre Hopkins, and that's about it. I mean, he's got Zach Ertz, but Zach Ertz kind of getting up there in age for a tight end. And are you really going to buy in on James Conner having another year like he did last year with Arizona? I, I don't know if I would. So I, I would have to believe that Tua is going to be the better quarterback of those two. 65780 is your cover service X line from the 314. Guys, believe it or not, the junk drawer stories today, all three of them, could have easily involved Tanner, and nobody would have blinked an eye. Oh, believe it. You don't think Tanner likes to uh, smuggle reptiles in his pants? They are my favorite animal. Crocodile. Is. What did you say was the joke why that somebody a, made on the text is a line earlier? Crocodile, your favorite animal. A what? Because uh, when I grew up, crocodile. When what I did grew, I say? When crocodile. I, when, you said crack style. Oh, jeez. <laughs> when, when, when I grew up, I enjoyed watching Steve Irwin, the that's, crocodile that's hunter. I, I did love me some Steve Irwin. The joke on the text line earlier that I was very disappointed I didn't come up with was uh, that individual who smuggled all of those reptiles. He must have a reptile dysfunction. Ryder didn't hear it. Ryder, turn your mic up. A reptile dysfunction. <laughs> he doesn't get <laughs> it still. I don't even know if he heard the junk drawer. <laughs> he doesn't get it still. Okay, oh, I thought boy. it was funny when I heard it. 65780 is the air cover service X line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, the Mets are pitching Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer in the same game on Sunday against the Cardinals. Believe it or not, the Cardinals no will be sitting all of their starters on Sunday. Oh, I was going to say, believe it or not, that the Cardinals will have a perfect game against them. Wait, are they actually doing that? Yes. Are they really? <laughs> yes. Woof. That's like when Jacob DeGrom uh, pitched against, what was it, the, the high A yeah. for the, the Cardinals, Cardinals affiliate? They were like, what the hell's going on They right faced DeGrom now? and Syndergaard in back-to-back starts. Yeah, no starters are going to be starting. No, I think Ali Marmol, I'm not going to believe this, Ali Marmol will start as starters because that's the most competition you're actually going to be able to evaluate if your guys are ready for the season. I would put all of my guys that I think are close to the big league, so like, we're going to see Nolan Gorman. Juan we're going to see... Um, Jordan Walker, Juan Yepes, Lars Newtbar. I would not be guys, putting Jordan Walker in that game. All of those guys that are on the cusp are like the triple A, high double A kind of thing. They're all going out there against DeGrom and, and Scherzer. Hey, boys, you think you're ready yeah. for the big leagues? Here's Here what go. big league pitching looks like. Have I, a nice warm glass of welcome to the MLB. I, I believe they'll have some in there. I don't think they'll have all of them. Like if there's guys that'll be in there, I think Yachty might be in there. I think he's potentially going to get a start Saturday, it sounds like. Um, I think Arnado will Lars be in there. I don't know if I don't know if Arnado or Goldie will be in there because they're playing well. <laughs> O'Neal the same. I think the guys that have gotten off to like just slow starts in spring might be in there. Uh, in the younger guys too. So like Newtbar will be in there. I wouldn't be shocked if like Bader or Carlson's in there. But if I'm one there. of those MLB guys, I think I would want to be in that game because I mean, look, then I want to see like how my bat speed is against these sure. top quality pitchers to know if I'm ready for the start of the year. And you already get the Sundays in uh, the regular season when you get to go. Oh, Degrom's on the mound. How about Sunday off? Yeah, I'll take <laughs> Sunday off, Coach. I feel like Nolan Arenado might be off that day. Ah, coach, I feel pretty good. Don't need to go up against those guys. Nolan Arenado's a gamer. He's going to say, I want it. I want to see Donovan against those two. Mm, he's I do been, too. He's been playing really well, so I want to see how he does against two legitimate aces. I think he's going to make this roster, man. I, I would be I At this so point, too. I would be surprised if Brendan Donovan is not on the opening Austin's day roster. Three Austin Dean's going to be re-signed and put on the <laughs> roster, and Brendan Donovan's going to go down. Don't you dare compare Brendan Donovan to Austin Double Dean. Zeros. That is a... I miss Austin Dean. Where's he at? I think he Dean signed with San Francisco. Wait, wait, where the, hell is, where the hell is Jose Rondon? Uh, I got another I one, guys. Signed yet. Guys, believe it or not, Tommy Pham is going to be a very unhappy individual this season. Oh, dude, he's signed with the Reds. Why did he do Tommy that? Tommy Pham is the ultimate gamer deal. and wants to oh. win. And then you just went to Cincinnati. Hey, he'll, be tra- he'll be traded. He'll be traded at the deadline. It'll be he fine. He hopes he's got to have a good season mm-hmm. and get traded. That's yeah, that's fair. not a good place for that's him to fair. sign. All right, let's continue with this. Believe it or not, David Perron finishes the year leading the Blues in goals. 
He's currently tied with Jordan Cairo. They both have 20, uh, 22 on the year. Vladimir Tarasenko is next with 20. And then you've got three guys currently tied. Buchnevich, Barbie, and Saad all with 19. I'll believe this one because experience at this time of the season is more impactful than talent, I believe. Like David Perron knows what is important at this time of the year. I think that's why we're seeing him light up the lamp as much as he is. I think Jordan Kyrou is still going to continue to pick up points, but I don't know if it's going to be in terms of goals, maybe more assists. I'll believe this one. I think David Perron continues his hot streak all the way into the playoffs. Oh, man. I think I'm going to stick with my boy still. I think I'm going to buy that it's going to be Jordan Kyrou, so I'm not going to believe this. I think Jordan Kyrou is going to get hot right down the stretch here, and he's going to end up leading this team in uh, goals. I think he's going to end up finishing as a point-per-game player, so I think he's going to need the goals to do so. I think I'm going to believe this. He's recaptured that form with um, Ryan Ryan O'Reilly. Those guys are playing really well together right now. And David Perron is on just an unbelievable hot streak right now. So I'm going to say I think I believe it. David Perron ends up leading the team in goals. I do think Jordan Kyrou finishes the season leading the team in points, though. Yeah. Um, Jordan Kyrou right now is at 61 points on the year. He's got a seven-point lead on Vladdy Tarasenko and a 13-point lead on Robert Thomas, who are second and third on the team right now. So I think Kyrou finishes leading the team in points, but not in goals. By the way, for what it's worth, he has not scored a goal in his last seven games. He's got one goal in his last 10. But he's got six assists in those seven games. And in that 10-game stretch, he has 11 assists, 12 points, and he's a plus five. Yeah. This is what we were talking about earlier when we brought up those uh, quotes from Doug Armstrong. Even when you're not scoring goals, you got to find a way to impact the game. In that stretch, he's playing more than 18 and a half minutes per game. That is up on the season. I think he's closer to like 16 and a half. Yeah. You're seeing him being rewarded with playing time lately because he's doing the things that uh, Craig Berube needs him to do. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to get into the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But next, do the Cardinals have a legit top five infield in the National League? And if so, how high up on that list would you rank them? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. to cbssports.com yesterday and they had a ranking of the 10 best infields in baseball i was curious where they would have the cardinals didn't have to scroll down it very far they had them at number 10 overall in major league baseball here's what they had to say about them the cardinals just edged out the tampa bay rays for this final spot paul goldschmidt nolan arenado the corner infielders are responsible for a good portion of their projected wins above replacement this year now the projections are bullish on Tommy Edmond. They think that Paul DeYoung is going to bounce back this year. <laughs> Two other notes worth bearing in mind, though. Edmundo Sosa, who had a surprisingly productive 2021, was not factored into this number because we don't think he's going to play as much. And the Cardinals seem likely to hand over the um, keys to big-time prospects Nolan Gorman at some point this year, a converted third baseman. He has near-elite raw power. So that's where their projections came in on the Cardinals this year. Now, if you're comparing them to just the rest of the National League, Alex, the teams that were ahead of them, not a whole lot of surprises here. The Dodgers were tied for the best infield in baseball with the Toronto Blue Jays. They had the Mets come in at number four. The Braves were at number five and the San Diego Padres were at number seven. Those are the four National League infields that were ranked ahead of what the Cardinals have. I think you can make a pretty strong case. 
And I understand that some wouldn't because of what Fernando Tatis Jr. is. I think the Cardinals, given his injury and given the question surrounding the rest of that team, I think the Cardinals have a better infield going into the year than the San Diego Padres. Now, if Fernando Tatis Jr. was healthy, just with him and Machado, I think you could make a case you'd rather have them than anything that the Cardinals could have put out there. But I would take the current situation in St. Louis over the current situation in San Diego. Am I mistaken? I would take the Cardinals over the Mets. Like Pete Alonso, and I don't know how much he's going to be playing first base, but Jeff McNeil's a- really good. They've got Eduardo Escobar, J.D. Uh, Davis. I, I, they, they've got some guys, and Fr- Francisco Lindor's really their good. First base, or their first baseman's not very good in Pete Alonso defensively. Uh, defensively, for sure, but, I mean, the guy's going to hit, like, 40 home runs this year. I, I, but, but, see, that's the thing. Like, are we judging this off of offense all around. Or all around. And I think you got to take into defense. As great as he is an offensive player, like defensively, he's a liability for you. It's kind of like a Jose Martinez thing at first base. I just don't know how much of a liability there. I, I mean, I understand we sound like homers with this, but it, I mean, your worst infielder is Paul DeYoung. And Paul DeYoung has had good seasons defensively for the Cardinals. It's just a matter of offensively. And I get all around is where they're going with this, but I, I would have the Cardinals at least top I would have them top five, maybe top three in the NL for this season. See, I, I actually think the argument against the Mets is actually a pretty good one because defensively, I defensively they're okay. Alonzo's not that great. Lindor, guys, Lindor did not hit well last year. That's and I, fair. I, and I get it that Lindor in the Was past Lindor has been worse really last good. Last year than Paul DeYoung. No, I don't think so because I, I think, think so. he hit like two thirty, and I think his season. OPS plus was fine, but. I, I he struggled a lot last year, so he was I could, an exactly league average hitter over the last two years. He's been an exactly league average hitter. Yeah, yeah so I, like I can hear the argument with the Mets. In fact, I probably would put it at about. A and they're going to Robinson Cano, who I know is going to play DH, but yeah. he might be seen some time in second and base. And Eduardo too. Escobar, he's a good hitter. He's not that great at third baseman defensively. Second, I think they. If I'm not mistaken, I thought they were moving McNeil to the outfield a I little bit, some as well. I think he's expected now to play second base this year for him. Okay, Start so there. but I could hear the argument for that for the Cardinals infield being better than the Mets because technically, if we're going off Lindor and how much he struggled last year, I would take Arnado over him. I would over take Eduardo Escobar. I would take Goldie as an all round player over Pete Alonso. Man, that's a fair point. Tommy. Edmund and McNeil are, to me, kind of similar players. And then it comes down to Paul DeYoung and Eduardo Escobar. Maybe you give the edge to you give the edge to Eduardo Escobar there for sure. But overall, it kind of feels like they're fairly similar. If not, maybe you give the Cardinals a slight edge. I would actually take the Padres. I understand what you're saying about, you know, for <clears throat> Daniel Tatis out, then, yeah, I'd take the Cardinals over him. When, yeah, but he's going to be healthy. I, I, I got to take the Padres' defense. I would put the Cardinals right in that 3-5 to five range, yeah. though, based on coming into the year. How do you feel about the Braves compared to the Dodgers? I know it's kind of, it, it sounds strange to say, but man, you look at what the Braves infield is at this point. Olsen, Albies, I'm not a huge Dan Z. Swanson guy, but he's, he's a solid shortstop at the least. And Austin Riley was a legit MVP candidate last year for him. It's a damn good infield, man. I, I think I would still take the, uh, the Dodgers over what they have, but it's not as big of a gap. Like, I think the gap is bigger between the Braves and the Dodgers and whoever you want to put third than it is between the Braves and the Dodgers. Yeah, I mean, Does that I would, make sense? I would give the advantage of the Dodgers there just because when it goes beyond those infielders and you go into the depth, like the Dodgers have Max Muncy that we're talking about. They're you got so absurd. Gavin Lux that you're talking about here. Chris Taylor can play the infield for you. Like, they got more depth than the Atlanta Braves do. But I'm with you there. I think that gap's a lot smaller than what people are giving it credit for. 
Yeah, I, it is definitely a lot smaller. I, I still would give the edge probably to the Dodgers because offensively that infield's going to be, I think, could be much better than uh, Atlanta's because I'm I'm with BK. I'm not I'm not sold on Dansby Swanson as much. He put a, together a really good year the last year. Also, you got Ozzy Albies, BK's like most yeah, overrated BK player in baseball, and and Austin Riley. If I'm not mistaken, that was what just his first year in the big. So first like full season. There's still some question mark. Can he repeat what he did last year? It's going to be hard to repeat being an MVP uh, caliber player. Honestly, though, I actually put the Braves right up there with the Dodgers, though, if you're looking overall, because uh, they put together a hell of a bullpen, and they have some pretty good starting pitching as well. And the outfield, we didn't talk about the outfield there. Ronald Acuna, you've got uh, – didn't they bring back uh, – was Rosario yeah, Rosario brought, was brought back. Yeah, brought so, the, so they've got a pretty good outfield still, too. The pitching depth, I think their bullpen's probably deeper than what the Dodgers is. Um, I put them right up there with the Dodgers. I still probably give the Dodgers the edge because that offense is just going to be unbelievable. Yeah, I have the Dodgers one, Braves two going into this. It's season. Funny because both of them have the same questions though. Mm-hmm. Both of them, it's all about the it's all Starting about the pitching, pitching, and we just don't know. Like the bullpen, I, I would take the Braves bullpen over maybe any other in baseball right now. It's really good. Kenley Jansen, Will Smith, Colin McHugh, Matzik, Jackson, Minter, like they are really deep and very top heavy. Uh, it's both of them. They've, they've got the top end talent and also they're very deep. They've built a bullpen like what the Royals had when they yeah, won the World Series. It, it's really good for what they have right now. I have a lot of questions about their rotation. A yeah, but lot it, of questions. The questions of those two rotations, I give the edge to the Dodgers because you have Walker Bueller and you have a couple of legit guys, whereas the best ceiling for the Atlanta Braves, you maybe have one guy who's a top pitcher in Max Freed, but after that... And they've got high upside players at the back end of their rotation to the Dodgers with Heaney and Anderson. Tyler Anderson yeah. and Andrew Heaney. And Dustin May, too, depending on what they use them as. Yeah, absolutely. So I... Those are your top two teams, I think, along with the Mets. Those are my top three going into the season, and then it's a matter of everybody else fighting for that fourth spot. Somebody on the text line asks an interesting question. If you had to rank these tandems, these duos, what would you go with? Uh, Alonzo and Lindor from the Mets, Arenado and Goldie from the Cardinals, Machado and Tatis from the Padres, Freeman, and I'm assuming this is Trey Turner from the Dodgers, and then Olsen and Albies. I would switch out Albies um, on Riley. this one for Riley. But of those, where do you think the Cardinals would rank? The Mets, the Cardinals, the Padres, the Dodgers, and the uh, Braves. Based on those top five, where do you think you would rank them? I think I'd probably put them third or fourth because the Padres, the Dodgers, and the Braves would be I would go third ahead. I would have Machado Tatis and Freeman Turner ahead of them, but I would probably put them third. You'd have Riley Olsen below Goldschmidt and Arenado? Mm-hmm. Man, I think I would have those guys above just it's because of the close. just because of the outlook of what the defense Riley is what is. would do it for me. Yeah, because Arnaud is better defensively than uh, uh, Riley. Uh, Riley, the offense Thank production yeah, is true. not all that different. And defensively, I've got the better yeah. players. If you're talking about building around two guys, I would rather have the Braves because oh, those yeah. guys are younger. But if you're telling me for just this season, which of them would you choose? And if we're assuming health, of course, because that changes things with the Padres. If we're talking about right now. I'll take the Cardinals second I, because of the health issue. I would go yeah. third, and honestly, I would put the uh, Alonzo and Lindor one at the bottom of the ranking. I'd I put agree. them fifth because Lindor yeah. has some major question marks, and he's got a massive contract, too, that's playing into it. So, And if you're taking defense, I, I, somebody texted in and said Pete Alonzo's not that bad. Pete Alonzo's not good defensively, and like I get the 40-plus home runs are awesome, but at first base, you got a liability there. There's a there. reason he's named the polar bear. Remember, Ozuna was the bear, and we saw him <laughs> climbing walls that balls hey, landed 30 feet behind Bears him. Bears are great at climbing. It's 
that bear wasn't. One final thing here. We talked earlier today about Brendan Donovan. We all agree. We think he's going to make this roster. I think he's going to make it over mm-hmm. Juan Yepes. And it seems like every day there's a new quote from Ali Marmol about how much he loves Brendan Donovan. And in that and same sentence, Juan Yepes. it's like, well, it's almost it's as if to. he's pitting the two against one another. He's not doing it purposely. It's but gonna be, Donovan's got a great flow. Yepes, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yepes needs to grow his hair. It seems like every day there's something that comes out on those two guys. Is Brendan Donovan this year's Cardinals Devil Magic player? Last year, it was Lars Newtbar. By the end of the season, I think we can all agree he was the guy. Is Brendan Donovan going to be that player for them this year? Because he fits every criteria. I think so. The scrappy guy that can play everywhere, gets on base. He can hit to all fields. They shifted on him the other day. He hit it the other way. Like He's got everything you want from a, a typical scrappy Cardinals Devil Magic player. Is he the guy? Yeah. You know who he reminds me a little bit, and I want to pull up the numbers before I I throw it out there, but he reminds me a little bit of what Matt Carpenter was when he first was brought up by the Cardinals. That's interesting. Like that first time that he was brought up where he, before he was the the home run hitter, when he was just the guy that they brought up to get on base, that's who he reminds me of. Like that first full season of Matt Carpenter, 294 batting average, 22 doubles, six home runs, and 46 RBIs. He's not going to get to that because he's not going to get that much playing time. But that's who he reminds me of. See, that's interesting. With better I, flow. I went, yeah, better flow for sure. I went back and listened to the T-Bone 3 when I did this back in, I think it was oh November. God. You were so full of yourself. <laughs> because they're all doing really well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I comped him to a Greg Garcia at the time because he's kind of scrappy he's at the plate. Than Garcia. He's got more pop than Garcia. I think I said at the time he has Rafael for call kind of power, guy that can hit like 10 to 15 home runs potentially. But yeah, he's he's got to be the guy. Now, Grant, I don't know where he fits in and what his role is going to be necessarily down the stretch because... He's going to be a guy that's going to fill in for you. can play multitude of positions. I just don't know if he's ever going to be really a starter for you, so it's going to be hard for him to really have that devil magic. Like Lars Newpar, they were able to plug him in the lineup for a while last year. So here's a quick look for you. In 2011, Matt Carpenter down in AAA hit 300. Last year down in AAA, Brendan Donovan hit 290. See, I know his numbers are pretty close to that. Matt Carpenter in AAA in 2011, 417 on base percentage. Last year, Brendan Donovan in AAA, a 390 on base percentage. Matt Carpenter in AAA in 2011, 465 slug. Last year, Brendan Donovan in AAA, 495 slug. The OPS for Brendan Donovan, 885. The OPS for Matt Carpenter, 880. Can't Alex, that is a really two. interesting comparison that you just made. I'm not saying Brendan Donovan is going to be Matt Carpenter and he's going to be a future MVP candidate for the Cardinals and he's going to be an all-star. Not saying that. But what Matt Carpenter was early in his career, could you get something similar this year from Brendan Donovan? Could he be a guy that comes up and immediately produces for you as a designated hitter, utility infielder type of a guy? Maybe you need those guys if you want to win a championship. And I think Brendan Donovan could be a really good piece for that. Coming up next, we'll get to the BK and Ferrario rewind and we'll give you a chance to win a copy of WWE 2K22 here on BK and Ferrario. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario 
Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Also, right now, BK and Ferrario, we've got your chance to win a free copy of WWE 2K22 for PlayStation and Xbox. WWE 2K22 out now on Xbox and PlayStation consoles, rated T for Teen. You can also register to win by listening on the 101 ESPN mobile app or you could just listen throughout the week this week. Right now is your chance to win. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you can tell us what the gentleman who worked at a prison was stealing up to the tune of a $1.2 million, if you can tell us what he was stealing for $1.2 million and ended up going to prison for 50 years, you text that in at 65780. Your text number 101. You are the winner of WWE 2K22. Blues playing tonight back in action against Philadelphia. Alex has your pregame coverage coming up at 6 o'clock. Puck drop for that one coming up at 7. I'm sure we'll get plenty of breakdown from Jamie Rivers and BT coming up from 2 to 6. The fast lane coming up. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.